You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 76, Sleeping Beauty. Make it pink. Make it blue. This episode is brought to you by the Rotoscopers t-shirt. Yes, you heard me right. We have a new sponsor, and it's us. We ordered special limited edition t-shirts that you guys help design and vote on, and we have quite a few left, and so we're interested in having you buy one because it helps support the show and the website. One thing that we really want to do is get the website up and running. We want to redesign it so it's the best of the best have a great experience on mobile, tablet, desktop, but we can only do it with your help. These t-shirts are a fundraiser, so we can do that. So if you want to buy a Rotoscopers t-shirt, go to store.rotoscopers.com and you can show off your Roto Pride. Oh, also don't forget, once you get yours, take a photo with like Instagram, but use the hashtag Roto shirt. And if you do that, we'll uh, put the photo up on our website for everyone to see. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling, here with my amazing co-hosts, Chelsea Robson and Mason Smith. Cheerio! Cheerio, darlings! <laughs> well, howdy, y'all! Chelsea, where did you Chelsea, pick up such what? a fine accent? I know! I am actually recording from Oxford, England. It's, oh my goodness, I had my cousin, she graduated with her MBA out here, and she was like, I need family to come support me. And I said, I can be that support. I can do that. (laughs) So, very last minute, like three days beforehand, um, I purchased plane tickets and I went out here, and I'm kind of putting it as a little bit more of a a gift to myself for, you know, birthday, because it's got to do something cool every year, right? Yeah, uh, la- last year I uh, I bailed hay for my birthday, but London's <laughs> London's, London's cool too. <laughs> oh man, oh my Chelsea goodness! Chelsea is what we classify as a free spirit. <laughs> oh. Planning? Awesome. No, spur of the moment. Yes. <laughs> It's really funny when Morgan and I have taken trips together. Oh, my God. It's, like, completely opposite. I get super stressed out that things aren't planned four months in oh, advance. Mo- Morgan's probably a total Hermione about it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I'm like the, so, let's do something crazy. That's yeah. not on our itinerary. Crazy is not on our plan. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I've been able to go around, which is really cool because this week, you know, for anybody who is joining us for the first time, we're just a bunch of friends. We get together about every other week, and we talk about an animated film. And this week, we are talking about the amazing, the beautiful, the aesthetically pleasing and magnificent Sleeping Beauty. And I'm just, I'm really excited that I happen to be in London. Well, not outside of London. Um, I happen to be in England uh, to be able to see all these really cool things like from that was reminiscent of this era. I mean, I'm basically staying in castles. It's fantastic. So you're like, staying we, in castles. Well, not necessarily, <laughs> but high like, roller. <laughs> I mean, all of these, like all of the different colleges around Oxford might as well have been because I mean, well, they were all around the time of the reformers. So it's definitely not during the middle ages, but it's around that time. And 
it's just so much history, so much cool, just ah, beauty too, which is exactly what this film is. It's every little bit of the most beautiful um, architecture and a lot of the art in general that was around this time. And I'm just so excited to be able to talk about Sleeping Beauty right now. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I was really excited to, like, didn't we want to do this, like, right after our first episode, Beauty and the Beast? Oh, this has been on the docket for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm excited. A good old Disney classic fairy tale with a princess. Very good, very good. Okay, well, happy birthday episode, Chelsea. Thanks, Mason. So for Chelsea's birthday episode, we decided to uh, appease her and do a catch and fire with her, which was really funny. We've done these for a ton of people, uh, you know, guests on the show, usually new guests. But for some reason, we haven't finished around, finished doing the main host. So we are doing Chelsea. So for those of you who are new to the show, Catch and Fire is a little fun segment that we do where we just do rapid fire questions about animation, about favorite movies, and we just it just is a quick way for us to get to know the people. Well then, how about a quick round of Catch and Fire? Catch and fire? You mean me? You're the only one with enough courage. So, Chelsea, are you ready? Ready and waiting. Okay, first animated film you remember seeing? I remember seeing 101 Dalmatians. Favorite cartoon growing up? Gargoyles. Favorite animated movie? Sleeping. No, it was Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Favorite animator slash artist? Mark Davis. Classic animation or CGI? Classic animation. Favorite animation studio? Oh, I'm a Disney girl. Disney or Pixar? Disney. Leica or Ghibli? Oh, I'm going to go with Leica. Disneyland or Disney World? Disneyland. Disney princesses or princes? Um, oh, that's a difficult one. We're going to go with princes. Ooh, not very much to pick that. I know. And I the reason why is... I think that's just because nobody ever picks them. But I think there, there's a lot of good things that come from the princess princes, and they need to be highlighted a little bit more. Heroes or villains? It depends on the hero and depends on the villain. But just for today's, I'm going to go with villains. Stitch or Tinkerbell? Tinkerbell. Mickey, Goofy, or Donald? Goofy. Huey, Dewey, or Louie? Louie. Favorite animated dog? Mmm... Um, Bruno. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Favorite obscure animated character? <laughs> Sit, Toby. <laughs> He's my number two. Nice. People or anthropomorphic? Anthropomorphic. Songs or no songs? Oh, let's... I wonder what... <laughs> oh, we're going to go with songs. Great Pumpkin or Headless Horseman? Oh, Headless Horseman. Who would win in hey, a these fight? Are, these are like cool, these are like cool fall themed questions. <laughs> we must have added them. And Way to go, Morgan! <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> who oh, would oh, oh, oh. who would win in a fight? King Fergus or Stoic the Best? 
Ooh. Um, Soak the Vast. Snow White or Sleeping Beauty? Sleeping Beauty. Tiana or Mulan? Mulan. Who would win in a fight, Frozone or Elsa? Elsa. Summer releases or winter releases? Winter. Rasputin or Dr. Facilier? Rasputin. And the big finale, the hardest question of the bunch, Hunchback 2, Return of Jafar, or Cinderella 2? <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't sit through Hunchback again, and Cinderella 2 most definitely not. Um, it would be Return of Jafar. And the thing is, like, I've watched every single one of those. I'm like, oh, I can't do it again. Oh my gosh, even Hunchback 2? Yes! Yes! And it's got, yeah, Morgan and I did a video on it. It's actually <laughs> one of my favorite videos as far as, like, YouTube goes, reviews. That was. Oh really? Yeah, it's one of my absolute favorites. So definitely check oh. that out if you go on YouTube. I'll have to go back, yeah, I'll have to go back and watch it now. <laughs> I'll include that in the show notes. Well, good deal. Now we know all about Chelsea. I'm so glad I finally get to do this because I was listening on our episode. The last time we did this was episode 51, Corpse Bride, when Morgan pitched a fit <laughs> saying that she wanted to do it. And oh that was, was so like, embarrassing. Excuse me, I did not pitch a fit. <laughs> I was just wanting my turn. <laughs> well, and so, and it, what was funny is in that conversation, I was like, I guess I'll have to wait another year to be able to do it. And look, what happened? We had to wait a year. <laughs> but here well, we go. It wasn't go. quite a Halloween episode. Yeah, it's fine. We're glad. Yay! We are moving into our main discussion. We are reviewing Disney's Sleeping Beauty, the 1959 classic, which was forever uh, in production. But before we go into that, I wanted to share, uh, do a little nerdy couch discussion or, or Morgan story time, I guess, since I usually do most of the talking on these. Um, and go <laughs> Morgan in- story time. <laughs> Gather around, everyone. Gather around. Grab your square of carpet and get <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please grab your little square of carpet and place it nicely on the floor and gather around because I have a book and I'm going to tell a story. Um, actually, I have the the new, I guess you would call it the Sleeping Beauty art book, but it's also slash Maleficent art book. It's called Once Upon a Dream from Peral Sleeping Beauty to Disney's Maleficent. And basically this goes into the art and making of um, Sleeping Beauty and also Maleficent. But before that, since both of these movies, the main core about them is the Sleeping Beauty fairy tale, um, there's a section that goes into uh, the different iterations of the fairy tale. Many Many of you know that this was a fairy tale. It was actually first published in 1697, um, and it was in French. It was known as La Belle ou Bois Dormant, which translates to the beauty of the sleeping forest rather than sleeping beauty. And this um, was published by Charles Perrault. Basically, it translates to stories or fables of times past. So he was sort of like a Grimm's Brothers uh, a few hundred years earlier, where he was collecting these stories that either had been told vocally and or just that had been a around uh, very popular fairy tales at the time and wrote them down in this book. Um, and so let's start. This is the first iteration, the first written version of the of the fairy tale in 1697. So uh, let's start with our baseline and we will evolve from there. So 
The first, it goes, um, when a daughter is born to a king and queen who have long desired a child, they invite all the fairies in the kingdom to her christening and present them with opulent gifts, including gold tableware studded with rubies and diamonds. In return, the fairies bestow the gifts of beauty, charm, musical talent, and other virtues on the child. But one fairy was not invited. Peral says it's because she was too old and she had lived in seclusion for so long. Everyone assumed that she was dead. Upon arriving uninvited, she enters and bestows her gift with no fanfare. It quotes, The turn of the old fairy arrived, and she said, her head shaking, more from malice than with age, that the princess would prick her hand on the spindle and die from the wound. This terrible gift made everyone present tremble. Uh, and then it goes to say that, you know, one of the fairies realized that this old crone might actually hurt the child with this gift and um, you know concealed her at the ceremony she hid the child from Maleficent or the, the old fairy I guess you'd call it uh, later she reappears from behind the tapestry and then alters the curse with her gift uh, the princess will not die but will sleep 100 years when a king's son will arrive to awaken her so we go into the next part of the story. Just, you know, the, the king was very desperate to protect his daughter. So he had all spinning wheels burned to the ground, um, you know, to prevent her from having this painful death. You know, if there's no spin, spinning wheels, then you can't die because you can't prick your finger on it. But despite his efforts, one day the princess finds an old woman spinning in the castle. And she touches the spindle, which she's never seen before. So she's really curious about it. So as a result of pricking her hand, she falls asleep. Now, this initial fairy, who was the one who altered the curse, realizes that the princess would be pretty upset set, waking up a hundred years later and, and finding the castle empty. So with a touch of her wand, she puts everybody in the castle to sleep. So that way when she does wake up, hey, they'll all wake up together. We Nothing happened, really. hundred years what? Okay, so then he describes how um, within a quarter of an hour, an impenetrable tangle of trees, bushes, vines, and thorns sprang up around the castle. Only um, so the topmost tower could be seen. Anyone who tried to penetrate the enchanted forest remained trapped in it, dying an agonizing death. you got to love the agonizing death in these old fairy tales. Um, so she slept a 100 years, and the the spell had been fulfilled. So then once a 100 years came and the spell had been fulfilled, the, the forest or the thorn bushes would part so that the prince could enter. It goes to say the prince awakens the princess with a kiss. Oh, no, no. Um, in modern versions of this story, he comes and he awakens her with a kiss. But in the original version by Peral, um, he falls to his knees by her bedside, which awakens her. You know, no fanfare. Just... Just woke right up. And she asks, are you my Just prince? Thunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she asks, are you my prince? And as he's helping her to her feet, he, he, a funny little note in here in the dialogue or in the actual book, it says, he tactfully refrains from telling her that she was dressed like his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> but was no less beautiful for it. And uh, a marriage follows. So, okay, what do you guys think so far of the original fairy tale? There's a lot of parts that are very similar. Obviously, the sleeping maiden, the hundred years, the uh, spinning wheel is always a main key. Destroying the, the all the spinning wheels in the kingdom is another one trying to thwart the curse. I thought it was interesting that the, the gifts of beauty and song were always there. This wasn't something that, you know, Disney added just to, you know, we've got to have a, a singing maiden who looks good. Of course. Could it be that this whole thing is just a cautionary tale about touching sharp objects? <laughs> to its core, yes. Okay. So it goes to say that there, folklorists have found lots of similarities between this, this notion of a sleeping maiden, not only in European fairy tales, but also fairy tales, fairy tales around the world. Um, there's similar uh, stories, you know, found from Ireland to India to Gabon in, in Africa. 
So this is kind of a, a very common sort of narrative when it comes to fairy tales. But wait, we are not done. Now let's go on. There is a second half of this fairy tale, which is often forgotten. And I think Disney tactfully and, and very smartly chose to ignore this side of it. So the prince in most versions is already married. And so then he meets the princess, wakes her up, marries her, having a second wife. So in some versions, his first wife, she wants to feed his children to the husband as Revenge for preferring Sleeping Beauty to her. Uh, that is not motherly hey. love. I just don't know any mother who would be yeah, so bitter. Yeah, that'll teach him mom. <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. Why, why is it in these old fairy tales that someone has to end up being eaten or something? Why not? That, yeah, that's what I say. Why not? Maybe maybe it's like these, one of those black plague kind of things where everyone was like obsessed with death. Those are like, hey, what's a good ending? Oh, everybody eats everyone. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this is about the prince's mother, who actually descended from a race of ogres. <laughs> it's going to get good. So the king basically only married this ogre queen for her wealth. Um, and after her husband dies, the ogress queen um, orders the butler to kill the princess and her children uh, to serve, to have them serve her. Uh, the servant deceives the queen, preparing a goat kid and venison with such delight, with such a delicious sauce that the monster declares she's never tasted anything better, thinking mm. that it's the princess this whole time. Um, but when the queen learns she's been fooled, she prepares to throw the servant, his wife and daughter-in-law and grandchildren into a pit filled with toads, vipers, and other noxious creatures. Then again, the, the prince arrives to oh. save them just in the nick of time. She's flinging herself around in the pit in anger and frustration. The prince is upset, um, at, you know, because she was his mother. Like, mother, this is embarrassing. But, you know, he contents himself with his lovely wife and children. You know, just how, remember in when I went and was telling the story of Snow White, they usually have just weird endings. Sleeping, the original Snow White, the, the wicked queen danced on some hot iron shoes on some coals <laughs> so her feet would burn. Uh, and, you know, Cinderella, the birds peck out the stepsister's eyes at her wedding, that you didn't know that. Um, so there's always sort of been this, this gruesome aspect to it, and this is no, no different. Yeah, I, I'm not such a fan of that. This whole second half of the story really goes into very gothic origins with the ogre mother, and I could see, I could see, um, Shrek doing something like this, but not necessarily the Disney version. Why, why is it in these old fairy tales that someone has to end up being eaten or something? Why not? That, yeah, that's what I say. Why not? Maybe, maybe it's like these, one of those black plague kind of things where everyone was like obsessed with death. Those are like, hey, what's a good ending? Oh, everybody eats everyone. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> hey, so wouldn't the prince look like an ogre then? Uh, yeah, unless it's the if, Disney if version. His mother was an ogre. Unless it's sort of like the Disney, you know, in Lady and the Tramp, how some children look exactly like the dad and some children look exactly like the mom. Maybe he lucked out. And oh, they're never like, they're never like a hybrid. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, all right, all right. So that basically is the first iteration of this Sleeping Beauty fairy tale, and there's been lots of changes along the way. Um, there's been, you know, paintings about this. There have been different plays, uh, you know, the most famous being Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty Ballet, uh, which we will talk about further, but many of the musical themes and practically most of the score to an extent was taken directly from that ballet, and um, that's one reason why I've always wanted to see that ballet, to see the similarities 
plays in in the music. The music in this movie is is incredible, which we will talk about. I'm not going to talk about it now, but so yeah. that is just a little introduction to the Sleeping Beauty fairy tale, the original. In case any of you were interested, um, you can find it in this book, Once Upon a Dream. I'll include it in the show notes so you can buy it. Um, I actually really like this book. I know in my review of it with Chelsea, I was a little hard on it because it's bundled together with Maleficent. I would have just preferred them to be separately, but I kind of see this. Ew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you take it from the perspective of here are two versions of the of this Sleeping Beauty fairy tale that Disney has done and just accept it for, okay, they've done two versions and this book chronicles both versions, then I think it's pretty acceptable. So yeah, and it sets it up very nicely by giving you quite a in, very detailed history about the fairy tale. So check it out. I really like it and I always learn a ton from these books. such a great history and one of the things I remember most about this movie is we had the VHS growing up and at the tail end of this it had like a making of documentary it was like a half hour long yes, and so it had, awesome it was great I loved it and it had footage of some of the nine old men it had footage of them like drawing and oh it was so so great and it also had Walt Disney he had like you know he's kind of introducing the movie as well and he comes out and he's like, maybe it's at the very end. I think it's at the very end where he goes like, and that's why this movie took six years and six million dollars to produce. It was the most expensive movie to make up to that date. And man, that was, I just, I love that, that whole section. So that the VHS has a very warm place in my heart. Yeah, um, definitely got me introduced at a very young age to making of and how cool it is to go behind the <laughs> scenes. I mean, Disney, it's Disney's own fault for preparing me to like these so much because they did this <laughs> with Sleeping Beauty. And then with their early trailers in the 90s, they would just be sort of a making of trailer. Like, here's your first look. And I always loved that. I loved seeing the storyboards pinned onto the wall. And mm-hmm. very iconic is the Lion King one where you see where they bring an actual lion into the studio <laughs> and they're sketching it. It's like, wow. Yes. And, you know, yeah. So, um, you know, the fact that Disney has been a bit lackluster in recent years with some of these making of featurettes is, is very sad to me. Pixar, on the other hand, is very good. I just reviewed Toy Story of Terror, the 30-minute the TV special. And they had director's commentaries. They had a making of, various making of. I mean, this is just TV special. It wasn't even a, a feature-length film. And the amount of detail that Pixar puts into their releases is definitely sets sets the standard. Um, so if only Disney could go back to this. But anyways, going back to Sleeping Beauty, I thought this was just a really cool add-on. I don't think it was really even necessarily advertised on the, the box that this was included. But it, it was. And remember, always remember 
staying tuned to the end credits just so I could watch it. It was, it was neat. Yeah, totally neat. I remember seeing, it was like a shortened one. It was like a 20-minute one, mm-hmm. you know? The only thing I remember from it was uh, Prince Philip, uh, like an actor Prince Philip fighting off this, like, yeah. thing that was supposed to be the dragon. He's, like, <laughs> flinging that sword around. It was, it was like, how do the animators draw that fast to figure out what he's doing? And it even had the voice of Aurora, and she was always fun for me to watch. I was like, she sits there, she's like, I always, I think, you know, I've always done really well with some of the younger generations because I was able to play this role. And I was, you know, he picked me because I was able to go up into that higher register and everything. I'm like, you're kind of a diva and I kind of like you. (laughs) (laughs) And her hair, I just remember, is like so completely 80s, 90s that it was just amazing. Like really, really big hair. Fantastic. But yeah, I mean, in the box office, it made $51.6 million. And if you were to adjust that to inflation, that would be over $606.8 million. So that's a big deal. It definitely made its money back. I mean, $6 million at the time, it was such so above and beyond what they spent that it was a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I'm I'm glad that it wasn't a flop. And this this movie actually was one of the ones where L- Walt's hand wasn't necessarily involved in this movie as much. And some people say that it you could feel that. Um, but he really gave a lot of creative uh, directive to the directors, and there were four directors: Clyde Geronimi, Les Clark, Eric Larson, and Wolfie Reitherman, um, which is quite a few for at, for the time. But you know, they all have different different parts that they play and different segments that they direct. And this was a big undertaking for the studio. It was forever in development, it seems. Especially reading that art book, you get a real understanding about how important this film was. And you know, what, like I said, Walt wasn't around because he was really overseeing the construction of Disneyland. Um, but I I don't think the movie really uh, falters for that. I still think it's remarkably well done, artfully executed, just the style and visuals in this movie. I mean, when you hear people, we, some people send in emails, and I was reading through those, and every single one of them mentions the backgrounds, the backgrounds, the backgrounds. It's just on a, a different level, I guess, that um, they, they stand out. You can't help but notice them. Yeah, I remember I was actually, this was last year, about a year and a half ago, I was over at my friend's house and they had the DVD of Sleeping Beauty and it was the platinum edition. And I throw, I, I put that in there and I'm watching it and I was just blown away. Just looking at it. And I remember at that time I was like, come on guys, can we please do this again soon? <laughs> but you know, we just had to wait till it's time. But oh man, everything, every ounce of this, one of the biggest things Walt just really wanted to, to have a moving picture. Like you're just watching this picture move. And that's exactly what they got. And it was just so cool. I love the backgrounds, even every little detail in the bushes. And they're just, they're, they outdid themselves on every form. Yeah. He, he said he wanted a moving tapestry. Mm, yeah, tapestry. But, um, I uh, recently watched the Picture Perfect, The Making of Sleeping Beauty. It's a little, little mini documentary on Ooh, YouTube. Nice. Nice. Well, that you, that you can see on YouTube, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, spectacular. I, I, it's a, a lot of cool insight into the art direction of uh, this film. And you, you know what? Maybe it's because I grew up with Sleeping Beauty, but you, like, Sleeping Beauty totally stands out from other Disney films. It really does. 
like I'm even talking, you know, the the before the Xerox era, you know, um, before all that, like this, like visually, it just stood out as something totally artsy, you know. Right. You know, when it first came out for a while, it was like the most popular movie of all time, besides Ben Hur. Yeah. Which Ben Hur, if you haven't seen that movie, it's good. So, what are your thoughts on the backgrounds? Because they are significantly different than anything kind of we'd seen before. It's not your typical Disney background. They're very angular and long and tall. Yeah, yeah. So this is straight out of the Gothic style. Like they literally looked at these paintings of, you know, of uh, pre-Renaissance, not quite Renaissance, but uh, this kind of Gothic style of elongated figures, very fashionable. I, I was just reading about this in my history of graphic design course. And um, and then the colors, the colors are just uh, crazy vibrant. In fact, uh, I, I watched in this documentary how the animators, um, the cell painters were having a hard time picking colors um, that wouldn't have the actors, cla- the characters clash with the backgrounds because the backgrounds are just spectacular. I mean, um, I have a mini art book that has some Sleeping Beauty like layout backgrounds. But I know there's a whole layout background book that Disney put out that has a bunch of Sleeping Beauty stuff. I was and reading, I love it a lot. I was reading um, the art book, the Once Upon a Dream. And they were talking yeah. about how, you know, you mentioned the colors in these backgrounds. And these backgrounds are so long um, because it was filmed in Super Technorama 70 using 70 millimeter right. frame. So it was that much longer of a background um, than your typical animated film, which means, you know, all sorts of things. There's more painting, more paint you have to do. There's more animation you have to do just to even get a character off screen. Um, but they, you know, they mentioned problems with trying to make sure the backgrounds looked right and the colors, because if you have t- everything's in this movie is very detailed. It's not like things in the background lose focus. They're still sharp and crisp. And along with that, the colors. Um, and so they showed one picture, and it's in the castle. And in the back, back background, there's all these banners and colors and super bright, tons of stuff going on in another, I guess, you know, down the hallway, you know, in a room. And in the forefront, it's it's the king looking over, I guess, it's either the king or the fairies or some one of the main characters looking over a balcony, uh, you know, and it's very muted in the forefront. Um, and it, it, they just talked about how this was a way that they did it. They ha- still had this color, but they balanced it so you weren't overwhelmed. And that still directed your eye to the character where you needed to them to see. And, yeah, I yeah. love me reading that book. I'm just completely fascinated with, you know, the process and color. And I'm not an artist. But I like learning about, you know, oh, wow, that is why my eye is turning to that particular person and whatnot. But really fascinating how they designed this film. Yeah, I remember when I was doing this uh, 2D animation course at BYU, and um, they broke uh, they broke out the layout and, and background book, you know, by Disney, and they had the the pencil drawing of the scene where they burn all the spinning wheels in the kingdom. Mm. And dude, I it it doesn't have you know because they throw the torch on there and it all lights on fire, but you can see that the artist drew every single spinning wheel. Like there's none of that kind of abstract you know thing where they just kind of paint a blotch. In a couple of lines, you know, it, it wasn't like 101 Dalmatians, that kind of style. They they painstakingly drew every spinning wheel. I mean, it was like a it was like a Dick Williams kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How uh, how intricate it wasn't. Oh my goodness! And then, like Morgan said, exactly. They they were in a super technorama, and uh, and so the the artist didn't know what to do with all that space with these huge huge um, uh, spaces that they had to draw and paint on. And so they really turned it into this this panorama of of art. Walt Disney chose 
chose Ivan Earl as the art director. And uh, they talked about in this documentary about how um, uh, take Mary Blair, for example, Mary Blair had done concept art and preliminary art for a lot of movies. But um, by the time it hit the actual final cut, her style was kind of muted by all the license that the artists took. And so you didn't get a real, uh, aside from a couple of shorts, you, you don't really see a lot of pure Mary Blair in Disney film, uh, animated film. But uh, Walt Disney really wanted that to not happen with Ivan Earl. He chose him as the art director and uh, Ivan like set out um, with this clear vision of what he wanted to do. And it's like exactly like Chelsea said, the gothic style is extremely detailed. You can see every leaf on every bush. You can see every spinning wheel uh, and everything is so vertical from the castles to the banners to the actual people. Um, you know, uh, Prince uh, Prince Philip is, is like one of my favorite examples. He's just this really long guy, you know, and uh, <laughs> and so he turned it into this gothic style, but he, he gave it a, a like a 50, 1950s kind of um, UPA cartoon uh, quality. So UPA was like a very uh, abstract animation studio, very cartoony. And so he kind of blended the two to make it contemporary or relatable to to uh, and stylish to the times, but also give it this uh, immortal gothic style that no one, no, no one had ever done anything like it before. And I really like his stuff. And there was actually a little bit of, I'll tell you what I don't like, though, is the art for the two-disc uh, collector's edition DVD. Have you, have you seen it? I Yes, I will include a link look, in the show notes. <laughs> look, people, I'm tired of the lame animated DVD artwork. I'm talking about the one that has like this, like, it's trying too hard to be um, John Alvin, you know, with the light and the sunbeam. And then there's like, the, there's like Maleficent's face in the background, but it doesn't look like her. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, who is that supposed to be? The magic mirror back there? <laughs> hey, that would have been cool. It's all connected. Um, but yeah, I'm Ooh, sick of that. Disney but, theory. Oh boy. But yeah, Ivan Earl's stuff was so cool. And, um, Walt was adamant about giving him the final say. Um, and, and that was it for the art department. In fact, watching that documentary, they, um, interviewed some of the nine old men and they talked about how they kind of, the animators kind of rebelled against Ivan Earl's like total control over the art direction. And it got to where they pounded on Walt's door to complain about Ivan Earl, but uh, Walt wouldn't have it. He wouldn't listen to them, and he stuck with Earl's art direction. And uh, eventually, you know, the, the nine old men, they, they still snuck in their trademark uh, character design into the fairies. It's most obvious. And so they got a little bit of freedom there. But for the most part, it was this team leader who had a clear vision, and he had um, Walt's total support um, to the to the point where it was it was totalitarian. And so I don't I, I gave that some thought, and I was like, hmm, which is better? Is is it better to have like one superstar art director with all the control or or to give more freedom to the individual team members, you know, so that they don't go crazy? Because sometimes artists are like that. Do you all have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I feel that you do need somebody to control and to rein in the creativity and to make something uniform. And with mm-hmm. this, it comes really close to matching Ivan's original vision and something that we hadn't seen before, because like you said, uh, it kind of gets lost in translation and the original inspiration gets muted. Um, and so this was as close as we got to something like that. But, you know, when I was watching this movie, I did take note of the characters, and it's just the characters are really cool and angular and tall and graceful. And then you have the fairies, and I remember watching it thinking, what happened to them? Like, why did they have to get round and bulbous? And they're um, they're uh, jelly-filled triangles yes. is what they are. 
<laughs> and uh, I think it would have been cooler if they would have matched everyone else. I really don't think most people would notice that they are in a slightly different style than the rest of the characters. I think you think, oh, it's a Disney movie. They all sort of look-ish the same. Um, but I did notice that this time around. At first, they wanted to make them very uniform and very much the same, kind of like the Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And yeah. they wanted it to be kind of just these three nondescript people. But then as it came on, I mean, it was just, it's not interesting at that point. And I think uh, one of the reasons that it, we get away with it, that they're totally different from everybody else, is that they are fairies. So they're not real, I guess, you know? Um, so they're already different. Yeah, and but Maleficent it, is a fairy. Yeah, but she's, she's a dark fairy. Yeah, she falls in the line. She does, for sure. But she's also very... Um, more. Human. I don't know. Well, actually, that you know, that's actually something that was really funny. Is I love in the book um, that Morgan has been going through. It does talk about Mark Davis did Princess Aurora and Maleficent, and then Milk Call did Prince Philip. And I remember in the book it talked about both of them were very jealous of Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson because they got the three good fairies, and they were kind of off. There was really no model that they were going by. They were just kind of going free form, and they're just doing their own little thing while while Mark and Milt had to be extremely grounded, extremely firm, extremely meticulous in everything, and they were just like, I wanted to kill my characters by the end of the film. Um, but that's kind of why uh, Walt put both of those guys in charge of those characters, because they were the best at what they did. And as far as the freeform with the fairies, it was just something different. It was, they were off-putting, not off-putting, uh, but they were just different. They were their own people. Yeah. Well, I, I think they, I think they wanted to make some of the characters to not look as serious because Sleeping Beauty was one of those films where they tried to make it with, tried to make a Disney film without the little comedic relief subplots, you know, like the mice and Cinderella, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the dwarves, all their, you know, comic relief with, uh, the stuff they would go off and do by themselves, um, in Snow White. And so they tried to, they tried to eliminate it. It's still, it's still there in this film. There is a couple sequences. But I think maybe to kind of, I don't know, give a little bit of joy and like that Disney humor, you know, the funny looking characters, they, they put those in. And then, uh, we, hey, we, uh, we open up with like this, uh, this huge song, you know, even the even the song at the beginning uh, sounds like Renaissance. You're talking about the. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I like. Oh, it's intro. great! It's great. They're all they're all marching around the castle. They all look like Renaissance paintings because there's no like space between them. You know, they're all like it's all they're all in profile. It's so cool. The movement is very up and down, uh, and yeah. it's not they don't flow very much. It just kind of feels like I almost cutouts just being moved across the frame um but it's pretty and interesting and they pull it off to where it's artsy and not cheap yes mm-hmm. exactly so that's what happens when you have money things gimmicks <laughs> like this work even it's not really a gimmick but uh speaking of we skipped over probably my favorite is the classic storybook you see that mm. thing it's like encrusted with jewels and gold <laughs> The crust, man. And that was a real <laughs> book that when they did these storybook openings, they actually, you know, filmed the book and made it. And I would like to know where that book is nowadays. Yeah, right? 
So we go into the coronation, or I guess it's just her birthday celebration. It's not really coronating anything, but, uh, you know, the other king is invited and little baby boy Prince Philip is so cute. <laughs> he's adorable. And I love, like, just like the little things that you wouldn't notice is that he starts out blonde and then as he gets older, he becomes a brunette. That's something that's very common with children as you're born with lighter hair and as you age, it gets a little darker. And I just think that's just a cool little touch that they, that they did to show, you know, he's now a man, in case you can't tell. How much older do you think he is than Aurora? Doesn't matter. It's a Disney film. Yeah, but I mean, I think he's like seven three years? or four. Oh, really? I thought he was <laughs> yeah. like seven or eight. Oh, maybe he's little. He looks about six. Okay. I'm thinking he's way older know. than... Yeah, he's probably just uh, past the toddler years. Four, five, six. Somewhere Definitely in not three. Think... No. <laughs> probably five. Well, yeah. I would say like four or five. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Maybe I'm just giving too much credit to him. But <laughs> yeah, who knows? You know, Disney is very pro-betrothal. Is this like a betrothal party? Like, do they know? Do they know that they're going to get married? Uh, no, you, he you doesn't know. You don't tell them that right. it's such a young age. <laughs> well, what? Zazu had no problem. We're going to a party. At the old. <laughs> We're going to a party. <laughs> Lovebirds blossoming on the savannah. Yeah, I guess some people are destined to just be together, you know? But you know what? Besides his lovely singing voice, like, when they get older, does Aurora even, like, know this guy? No. Because she doesn't, besides this day, she doesn't know Philip. She doesn't talk to anybody. I'm all concerned she, she about She doesn't her. know anybody. <laughs> all, all she, she can carry a six... conversation. <laughs> She's had a conversation with the, you know, her three peasant yeah, women. Yeah, three moms. <laughs> it's, it's like this weird polygamous, uh, polygamous family where there's three moms and no man. Like, gosh, Aurora, what a messed up childhood. <laughs> no, she knows they're her Three aunts. aunts. Yeah, her aunts. Okay, okay. I'm sure that she's heard stories and, or, you know, they have to tell him something. Yeah. So the castle yeller guy is like yelling and he's like, the flora, fauna, and merryweather. So they float in, you know, <laughs> even, <laughs> even the rabble. The fairies are, the fairy, okay, I, it's funny for me to say this, I suppose, but I love the fairies. Like, they got a good dynamic. You know, they're kind of like the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. You know? Except the, the colors don't match up. But there's the one that always has to be the leader, you know, and then there's the grouchy one, and then, the, you know, there's the really sweet neutral one, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I, I love all their personalities. They, they just work so well. So I, I know one of the voices was from, uh, the Bob Hope show. Uh, I think that was Fauna. Uh-huh. And then there's some long-time Disney voices. Yes. Um, Meriwether. Do you know who voices Meriwether or what else she has voiced? Oh, that's obvious. It's Lady from Lady and the Tramp. Yes. If you hear that, you cannot unhear that. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so her... But, you know, she she kind of changed it, you know? Yeah. She's a little more squeaky as a fairy in, in Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, exactly. Um, but just a pinch. That was like. Barbara Luddy who did Meriwether. And I think the most famous um, of the three fairies is Verna Felton. Uh, who did mm-hmm. Flora. Now, yeah. she's been in a lot of things. Do you know uh, what else she has voiced? There's quite a few. Okay, I didn't cheat, but I, I did. They did go over these in the documentary that I watched, so I'm going to try to see what I remember. Okay. Um, one, one of the gossipy elephants from Dumbo. Yes. You know, she's like, you know. Jumbo uh, Junior. Surely not. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's that one, the, the really pompous leader one, yep. you know. This is not a laughing matter, you know. <laughs> um, okay, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, can you help me out, Chelsea? She voiced another Disney elephant quite a few years later. 
uh, I don't know that many female Disney elephants. <laughs> Winifred, which is the mother <laughs> elephant ah, from Jungle Book. Winifred, old girl. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Those were the days. Discipline. Discipline was a thing. <laughs> oh, i got to add that to my video. Yes, you um, do. That's yeah. perfect. He's like, he's like, honey, haven't you forgotten something? Our son. <laughs> <laughs> now now we're just moving into uh, tar, uh, uh, Tantor's mother. Yeah. <laughs> honey. Well, Mommy is losing her patience. (laughs) So she actually did two other... Okay, so we got two elephants. Yeah, she did two other elephants, actually. She was Mrs. Jumbo. Yeah, but you don't hear her much, so it's it's not as prevalent as the elephant matriarch from Dumbo. And then the other one uh, from Goliath 2, 1960, she was Eloise the elephant. Now, I personally have no idea what... what, I have no idea what Goliath 2 is. Is that Disney? Yeah. So that's, that's weird. All right. Uh, so there's the two... only Goliath I know is from uh, Gargoyles. Well, not that one. All right. There are three. Was she the Queen of Hearts. She was the Queen of Hearts. Good job. Now there are oh. two more movies. One which has previously been mentioned when talking about voice actors. Oh, right, right. Fairy Godmother. Fairy Godmother. Yep. Last one. Gosh, who is this lady? From Lady and the Tramp. The crazy, the crazy lady, the crazy lady who lives in the swamp. No, in from. from... No. From a lady on the tramp, is it Aunt Sarah? She's Aunt Sarah. Perfect. Woo! Oh, oh, oh that's right. Cause, yeah, all right. I remember the voice oh now. No, that's the wrong quote now. <laughs> it's okay. So, yeah. yeah all right, very, all right. Well, that makes Very interesting. She's She was definitely a favorite at the time. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so the, the fairies go in and they uh, bestow their, their birthday gifts. How do you feel oh, about sweet. the scene and sort of the change in style? I guess if you trippy man, <laughs> it was always a fast forward for me. <laughs> well, it, it is definitely the it's this it's the slow moment that they usually skip in the sing along VHS. Let's just say that, right? Um, <laughs> um, it's all very theatrical. Yeah, like it's it's uh it's got this theatrical element to it where they have like this limericky monologue, a poem about what it is, and then the choir is like lips of rose or something like that at the end. You know, they always have to chime in. You know, it's like I love that choir. Like the the King has just got this 24-7 choir that's just there. That's back <laughs> you know, he's like, hey, can you take care of the shop? Going to use the John. Here's going to you. <laughs> you know, they're always there to back up what everyone said. <laughs> oh, I like it. You get this, like, super trippy kind of imagery, like we're flying through the galaxy, and then Aurora's, like, sitting on a windowsill, <laughs> you know, and then she's, like, sleeping in, like, a moonbeam, you know. I'm like, far out, man. <laughs> It's true. It is a bit different, huh? <laughs> so I like you know the red one. Like I just liked how they did with all the red colors. But red always is my favorite color. Uh huh. So that's something that I always like. It's like, yeah, that's cool. But all the other ones, I was like, fast forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, the best. And then here, here's one of the best parts moments of the movie. Little princess, my gift you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. Talk about a jump scare. <laughs> It was going to be something like, um, you'll, you'll, you'll make a lot of money. <laughs> Dang it. And they're like, that, that's it? <laughs> Meriwether, that wasn't that poetic. Yeah, she'll make a lot of money. Okay, shut up, choir. That wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, here comes a real villain, folks. The mistress of all Rasputin, evil. Rasputin, take some notes here. 
She the is, mistress of all she evil. She is the ultimate villain when I'm thinking about it. Like someone was saying um, in one of the voice emails, they were talking about how she's sort of become like the, the leader of the Disney villains. And it's true. She really is the epitome of all evil and villainous and bad guys. She is. In, in Phantasmic, if you go to the if you go to Epcot and Phantasmic, the whole thing was her idea. <laughs> not to mention she's the not to mention she's behind everything in Kingdom Hearts. Sorry, spoiler alert. But but you you know that she of course is Maleficent. It's a little more deep than that, but um, she is involved. I I think she's terrific. Well, the I think fact- it's, what is it about her? Is it the voice? Is it the, the design? It's just flames and horns. <laughs> Green flames. This year, there is an art exhibit going to the Disney Walt Disney Family Museum, and it is all of the art of Mark Davis. And, oh, sweet. Oh, my gosh. I was so... I, that is one that if I were to, like, fly out there for any reason, I would go out there for that one just because it's so good. Then everything that he does, like, I was just looking at some of those, the concept art, you know, even just, like... You know, one sketches that he did of her that they're, it was just, they're amazing. And you look at her and you just think you are one not to be trifled with. No kidding. There is nothing comical or weak about her. Maleficent is in control in every moment. And if she's not, she makes everybody pay for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's what is one of the reasons yeah. why she's so successful because she's not a joke. She's nothing to me- you don't mess around with Maleficent. She's serious. She can take you. She out. doesn't get a song, and she never will. She doesn't need one. I mean, that would kind of not dumb her down, but it would just take away from this aura that she's created. Um, you know, they talked yeah. about in the in the book about her design, and as Chelsea was saying, like she's a speech giver. That's her her job. Is she just kind of stands around yeah. and she talks? So they need an expert animator, you know, who Mark Davis was the one, but initially when they were designing Maleficent, her cape, she's black and purple now, but they wanted it black and red, which obviously and when you tie her design with black and red, it's very much um, reminiscent of the devil mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of the uh, hell vibes, I guess you would say, and so it, she was mm-hmm. supposed to be red, and I was reading on Andreas Deja's blog that they changed the ink and painters like i guess went behind him and changed the colors to purple and at that point there was nothing he could do about it but i I actually think purple works well um matches her eyeshadow (laughs) yes it does it seems like red or purple seem to be the colors of villains i think ursula is very purple jafar is very red um hades is blue but more on you know you could say he's more of a purple side but it's sort of you know you talk about the color purple purple is a very a royal color and sometimes with these villains they are trying to steal the crown and so they're putting on purple this is just right. my interpretation of it, trying to mimic royalty and then with red Ooh. it's trying to uh, you know obviously very representative of who their, power. who their master is yeah it's you know reminiscent of the devil and power and strong fierce color so it's just interesting the how she could have gone both ways but now she is very very much a purple black villain rather than a purple red which she could have should have been yeah and what a voice Ah, oh, uh, she's great, Lady Tremaine, El- Eleanor Audley, who uh, she's she's done a few things. Yeah, Lady they, Tremaine from from uh, Cinderella was one of her great roles. But then also, you know, a Disneyland fan, shout out to you, uh, Madame Leota from Haunted Mansion. She's the floating yes. head. Spirits. Yeah. <laughs> Wings of a bat, send us a signal wherever you're at. 
I'm you know, going there. I'm not wondering. Although it's whenever I go, it's always not. It's always Nightmare Before Christmas takeover. Oh no! Oh, nice. no, I know. I know. It's good, but it's not the same. Anyways. And then you get the hot topic crowd in there. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, hey, the animators were even saying that um, Eleanor oddly looked like Maleficent. Oh. Because she what? resembles her. She does have a very. Uh, she's got a. She's got a long face. Yeah, I can see that. You know, Maleficent's not ugly. She's not the typical no. evil hag. You know, but although I think they pushed it too far with Angelina Jolie. Uh, that's another story. And so she's like sophisticated yet ruthless. You know, she's like, here's your precious princess. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. she's, she's evil and she knows it. I love her line when she's like, oh, they're a disgrace to the forces of evil. You know, she has that <laughs> one, that one line. Yes. She sounds like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. She had her Nicolas Cage mode. You know how she's just great. <laughs> but she's like, she's like really concerned about um, about keeping up the image of evil. <laughs> she's like, they're they're throwing off my evil groove here. But she does it without being funny about it. You know, mm-hmm. I still, you know, there are comical villains who are just as effective. But Maleficent just stands apart as total evil, evil incarnate. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of another purple and black villain, you have Isma, who's basically on the other, <laughs> other end of the villain spectrum. I mean, she's such a joke. Well, she's not All a joke because she's a, she's effective somewhat, but and she's a murderer. And she has know. broccoli in her teeth, which really gives her a step down. How long has that been? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And um, so we're dealing with the mistress of all evil, and who pushes the envelope? Meriwether. You weren't wanted. <gasps> weren't wanted. Oh. Yeah. Oh dear. What an awkward situation. I was hoping it had been lost due to some oversight. Well, I guess I must be on my way. And then they push it even more. And you're not offended, Your Excellency. Oh my God! <laughs> and then she turns around. Why? Just the question I wanted you to ask. <laughs> they could have just let it go, sent her a gift basket, and then she would have just gone back to her castle, maybe. <laughs> but you know, she was waiting for that. She was trolling. Yeah, she was. She was totally trolling. She be trolling. You know, why no, and to prove I bear no ill will, I too shall bestow a gift on the child. At that point, everyone should just go. Everyone should just go <laughs> home because this party is not going to turn out well. Yeah. You know, and then, and then the, I, sorry, I can quote this whole thing. Listen well, all of you. And then she, uh, I love when she pounds her staff on the ground and it's just like, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. So the, even Very the cool. sound effects in this movie Very are cool. iconic. Very good. Yeah, yeah, there's a few recycled sound effects. Uh, yeah, especially the, uh, um, like when she turns into a dragon and she's snapping, that's very clearly the snapping of Peter Pan. <laughs> I can't even yeah. do it, but it's, it's a good sound. I, uh, don't get sounds like that anymore. <laughs> yep, that's, oh, that's old school like the old school. So you talk about how, like, in the, in that, in the original fairy tale and here, and even in the film Maleficent, how she's a fairy. Um, and we don't get her backstory in this film, and you know that she's a, an evil fairy, but she doesn't have wings like the other ones. Um, but we don't get it, and I guess you can say we get it in Maleficent, but I'm, I'm not satisfied. Like, I'm still interested. I'm like, what's the real backstory? I'm interested in what happened to her, but yeah. I doubt we're going to get a Sleeping Beauty. Who's prequel. the real Maleficent? Well, has there even been a Sleeping Beauty sequel? No, thank goodness. Yeah, nor right. Snow White. Those yeah, are, I'm nor, so glad that they White. stopped with those, and they just knew not to touch. Yeah. No, no touch. Touch. Cinderella no is almost tainted in a way because of those two sequels. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No respect for her. Except for <laughs> Gus Gus. He rocks. 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, this is. I mean, I'm I'm going to be complaining about this until the end of time. But what were they thinking with Maleficent? Sorry, Disney. Um, I couldn't get behind that. Well, here's one of the things that I thought as I was reading in the book Once Upon a Dream. Yeah. Like every time I got closer and closer to that section of the book, I was just like more irritated because I was like, I don't want this section of Sleeping Beauty to end. And I finally get over to the Maleficent section. I think the the thing that bothered me the most is that the director of it, she was, she's, I mean, she's been in a lot of like story meetings, like with Don Hahn was the executive producer on this. And so he's worked with her a couple times, especially with on like Lion King. And, um, he brought her back and was like, Hey, let's do something. And she was like, okay, let's do it. And then decided that she would make this script knowing full well that it would be completely different from what the canon was. And she was like, I'm just going to make this script, ignoring the fans and ignoring every little piece of this and making it, make it something of my own. And see, that's what really bothered me about it is because like, I understand if you're going to want, if you want to make something your own and want to make it good um, and, or whatever you have in your heart type thing. But I just, Oh, it bothered me so much because I felt like it was just a fan fiction. Because, yeah, you like the story, but you're going to, like, differ. And you're going to be like, no, I'm going to do it something different. And, like, I just, I felt like if you're going to do a sequel or a remake or something like that, you do have to pay that nod to the fans. Otherwise, it's just not going to go very well. And yeah. it's not well, going to be I'm, held on to. I'm okay well, the, with the you. source material. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I'm okay with you making your own version. It would have been better if a different studio mm. did it so you could separate the two, but because it had the Disney name tied to it, it made it really hard to make them seem as though they are two, because they are. They, these two movies do not in any way, shape, or form like overlap, even though in, in Maleficent it, it has the line where it's like, oh, and the story you know was was just fake. It didn't really happen. This is the <laughs> real hard. version. It's like, oh, gosh. You know, I would have been okay even if Disney had had made that separation really clear. Like, this is just another take on the Sleeping Beauty story. But mm-hmm. the yeah. way it was presented kind of gave the false impression that it was supposed to be some sort of tied to Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Well, and in the yeah. marketing, they they tried to show, like, the exactness on, you know, here are specific, you know, when they come in and they have that the exact scene of the, the baby's christening. And she, like she comes in, says the same thing, has the same movements, and like they focused all much on that scene because it was so iconic that they just they wanted to win over the fan base like by getting them in on it and when it get, getting that early acceptance. But then when you like go so far against it that you're just it just is bothersome, and that was what bothered me. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, so bothersome, man! It was bothersome. Just so you know, Maleficent is a fictional name given to just Disney's version of the the bad fairy. So that's another thing. By using the name Maleficent, you're definitely tying it to the Disney version, which is hard. Oh, yeah. But we can't rag on Maleficent that much because so far it has made $754 million in the box office worldwide. Oh, surely mostly international. (laughs) Anyway, I hate to be such a snob about that movie, but... I don't know. Maybe we should have a whole episode of how we feel about Maleficent. Just no, get it that all would not out. be positive. <laughs> it would not be positive. That would not be very Grab your torch and pitchforks. <laughs> yeah. 
Bring out the guillotine. Anyway. <laughs> Off with our head! Anyway, well, we do know a few things about the real Maleficent. She knows everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, people refer to her as royalty. You know, your excellency. She's, um, although she doesn't seem to be like the, the evil ruler of the kingdom. You know, she's no wicked queen. Um, according to Disneypedia or whatever that site is, she has been crowned as the leader of the Disney villains, and she takes on a leadership role as as the bad guys go in a lot of Disney stuff. Uh, did you know she never directly interacts with Aurora? There's no direct confrontation with mm-hmm. her besides in the at the christening. She's that good. Well, which shows that she really hadn't. It wasn't about Aurora. It was just about doing the evil deed, spiting King right. Stefan, you know, for not being invited. Right, and King Stefan doesn't, doesn't won't have it, you know. He he sends his his Renaissance guards after her. I love how there's this dramatic shot, you know, of him going, you know, see that creature, stand back, you fools, and then um, like just this this automatic row row and column of like fifty soldiers with halberds comes up, and it's like it's like the the card guys on Alice in Wonderland, that kind of style. Yeah. Man, it's just brilliant, brilliant art style, you know. And then, um, did you notice that she totally leaves Diablo, her her crow, behind? Yeah. She no. she disappears, turns into an aura, then the aura disappears, and the bird's like, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. Oh, she always does this. I have to fly all the way back to the evil castle. She's a, uh, He's a raven, actually. They use a lot of ravens because a, a raven or a crow is such a quintessential bird, you know? But, uh, yeah, Roy Disney was talking about in that documentary. He's like, you know what? We did use a lot of crows and ravens back then. <laughs> Crows and ravens. It's true. They just got really good at drawing them. They're like, just throw one of those in there. We've done it enough. Yeah. I love it when, uh, you know, uh, King Stefan's like, seize that creature. And then Chifu in the background's like, that creature's not worth protecting. (laughs) See, when I think of that line, I think of the great mouse detective, when it's the fake queen. Seize that despicable creature. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah, and then Meriwether kind of brings it back, you know. Aww. She's like, "Well, I guess the money's out, but I can do this." <laughs> For true love conquers all. I'm like mega quoting this. I know. But yeah. Not in death. Yeah. Just so in um, sleep. this evil prophecy you'll keep. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you can't one up Mason on an episode today. Not Sleeping oh. Beauty. You're the king. Oh man, kind of. This is kind of embarrassing. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> well, I, everybody it's who's awesome. seen the podcast knows I have I have a phonographic memory in that I I I can hear something and I can I can recite how it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just ask my mom. I mean, she deals with this all the time. <laughs> so okay, now the big drama, the big confrontation is over, and so the fairies are kind of left to their own, trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do here? And and then they say, shh, even the walls have ears. They go and they turn really oh, small yeah, and they, so they go into a little box and then they start trying to figure out well, what are we going jewels. to do to save the yeah. princess. No, it's not a crown jewels. It's like the crown tea set or something like that. I didn't say crown yeah, jewels. No, I like, said crown uh, jewels oh, though, gosh. but then I was like, no, it wasn't. It's, it's like the royal China. And you know, <laughs> I guess, I guess they're scared that Maleficent may have spies in the castle. Either that or the fairies' plan that they're about to concoct is about to be so positively dim-witted that they couldn't afford to let anybody <laughs> hear it and they knew it she always ruins their whole thing is the fairies are like their whole they just want to fix this thing by covering their butts because i don't know whose whose job was it to pass out the invitations 
Merriweather. Anyway, they, she wasn't Merriweather. <laughs> no, 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 she wasn't. She wasn't wanted. But like, their whole plan is like. I mean, at some point they're like, well, this is messed up. Uh, deep sleep over the whole kingdom. Uh, I know. Maybe it was Merriweather the whole time that was just like she was the one that hid the invitation, and like <laughs> they didn't. The, the king and queen didn't even know. Drama. And so that's why she has like, to be like, you're not wanted. Hurry before anyone else says okay. anything. This is part of the, uh, this is part of the real backstory. You're here. not. Mad at Back like, at this bad thing. <laughs> See. Back at fairy school, you know, Merriweather <laughs> and Maleficent were like butting heads the whole time. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> oh, the fan art. Anyway, um, yeah, so I don't really like their plan. So uh, they, they, their first draft is to turn Aurora into a flower <laughs> until Maleficent sends a frost. See, a flower can't prick its finger. It has it. Oh any. my! Oh my gosh! I mean, why would where did Malefic- they go to school? Where did they get their education? Why would Maleficent send a frost? That's the thing. Like, this was actually a pretty good plan because even because she then, always ruins. I know, but she was looking she for it. Found out. No, she was looking for a, a young girl this whole time. So if they just would have put her in a potted plant and gone about their business, I I don't think it would have come across her mind to send a frost. I don't cool. know. Cool. Then when she then when she grow up, she'd be like Poison Ivy from Batman. <laughs> Origin story. Plant. Hours, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so so they go off and they they concoct all these dumb plans. And um, but meanwhile, we're at the fortress of all evil. So they finally get their plan right, and they're like, okay, we're gonna dress up as peasants. We're gonna abduct Aurora, and we're gonna take her out in the woods, and we're just gonna try to raise her without magic. You know, no magic. And uh, so so sixteen years, right? And not a trace of her. Are you sure you searched everywhere? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, the, 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 the head, I the head orc sounds like, um, the how chief from, uh, Peter Pan or the attention everyone alligator from, uh, Robin Hood. All the cradles. <laughs> oh, those poor guys. Yep. Yep. Every cradle. <laughs> Did you, my pet? A baby. And then she does her, um, her evil laugh that is like. You know, we we know to be uneasy about the way she's laughing, but the orcs are like, oh, we told a joke. <laughs> she thinks we're cool. <laughs> and then uh, fools, idiots, imbeciles. <laughs> you know, poor orcs. Oh well, they're robust. They're goons. You know, they technically. Yeah, they're goons. They're goons. So what was that about the whole? Um, I always thought they were orcs, but there's some there's some like classic art inspiration behind them. Apparently, so, yeah, they are. They have their roots in a famous Dutch painter named Hieronymus Bosch. Is that how you say it, Mason? Oh yeah, that guy is awesome. He had the he had the greatest imagination. So they they're definitely reminiscent of him because his he was sort of a, a medieval esque Renaissance painter and and goes into these weird creatures with you know human bodies and weird heads and then animal bodies grotesque. And, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll I'll include a link to Andreas Deja's blog where he talks about the creation of the goons. Um, Bill Pete designed them and they they actually were a little bit more UPA style initially, but um, yeah. And uh, John Lounsbury he was the one who animated most of the goons including their pig leader, pig-like leader, I should say. But I like the goons. He's a moblin. The only thing I don't understand is I, I have a hard time believing that Maleficent would surround herself with such dopes. She's, She's surrounded so by idiots. Exactly. 
I wish she could have just turned into a dragon, scooped up Aurora in her mouth, you know, swallow, she's done. <laughs> you know? But, you know, it's, it's the... It doesn't it's go the big, according to plan. Right, right. It's the plan, the plan, master, the plan. It, it, it's such a habit of evil, dastardly dil- villains to, um, to, to make a plan, you know. I'll send my evil goons after them. You know, I know I'll turn him into a duck. Oh, yes, it's so evil. <laughs> they always have to have this evil plan. When if they, if they, and then they always resort to a direct approach. You know, they're like the Japanese when they're fighting Godzilla. They never, they, if they just went to their most powerful weapon right when he comes out of Tokyo Bay, they would have gotten rid of him. But no, they have to prolong the inevitable. But anyway, yeah, so Maleficent, maybe her one downfall was to trust the goons. The goons. <laughs> yeah, okay, like so we we then transfer from the goons, and she says, oh, my pet, go one last time and search everywhere. Or Mason probably knows the exact quote. What am I, some sort of quote nerd? No, I don't know. No. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I actually don't, but she okay. does say, oh, Chelsea? she's like, oh, my pet. I, yeah. I don't search know Search far and wide. For a maid of 16 with golden hair and, yeah, basically that. Lips red like the rose. Are we getting into Snow White here? Yeah. Everybody wants to have those deep red lips. Well, maybe. I don't. don't (laughs) (laughs) It was the style at the time. So we go to the cottage and we're introduced to the the fairies as humans and they're celebrating for her 16th birthday. Um, And so they try to whisk her out of the house and go, go hunt some berries okay so she's like berries but i picked berries yesterday so but too bad you gotta do it again she's on to them so then they start the the birthday preparations and i have a hard time believing 16 (laughs) years of using no magic they're still complete imbeciles i mean they can't cook for their lives they can't even sew anything it's weird okay how did how did briar rose get that dress gently Two tisps. Yeah. What's a tisp? Two teaspoons. Oh, a teaspoon. Oh, teaspoon of corn. So my favorite part is the dress that they that they create, and Meriwether is modeling it. And I would love <laughs> to see someone cosplay Meriwether in that dress because it's so hideous no but so kidding. hilarious. It would be a riot. There's the sleeves that are dangling. It looks awful. That's because it's on you, dear. <laughs> Snap. Yeah, this part is great. You want to see a real wizard's duel? <laughs> when Flora and Meriwether start going on about the color of the dress, oh my gosh, it's great. Mm-hmm. Make it pink. They just blow up the whole house. They should have been like, make it pink. Oh, make it blue. Make it pink. Avada <gasps> Kedavra! <laughs> <laughs> You should have just been done with it. <laughs> what happened to Meriwether? Oh, nothing. Oh, she went and got herself blown up. <laughs> so we move on to the singing in the forest. Uh, it's her trademark because she was given the this gift is- of song. Oh. I I love, 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 love this song. It's probably my favorite of most all of the songs. And I can, my brother and I will, like, all start singing this. And all of a sudden, he'll, like, come in right at Prince Philip's spot as well. Like, in his, his like, shockingly, <laughs> like, ha- like, operatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy who 
did his voice was a pop singer, you know, as as pop as you can get back in the 50s or whenever they did this. I did not know and, that. And Aurora's singing voice was more operatic, obviously. Right. Yeah. So I love the shot where she's singing and going across the log. And then the camera does this cool, like, track under the log and through it. And then in the background of the forest, there's Philip, and it, it, it just kind of seamlessly kind of zooms in on him. Mm-hmm. Like, that was cool stuff back then. Yeah. Of course, the drawings that they were dealing with were huge, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I love that shot. And then, of course, there's the forest animals, forest critters. Aww. So iconic. They're cute. The great designs. So I that, love them. That's where they incorporated the very stylized UPA. I think Andreas Deja had a blog post. It was like, of all squirrels, this is the ultimate squirrel that has ever been drawn. Like, <laughs> All right, so Aurora, we're, we're going to her design. I think her voice is amazing. It's it, yeah. and, and same thing with the prince. They have just this way of speaking about him, these American accents, I guess, that are just, you don't hear people talk like that anymore. It's a bit more sophisticated and not so like, yeah, totally, you know. <laughs> Very classy. <laughs> and her singing voice is just a dream. Yeah, there's no lame, weird singing lines about being elated and gassy. No. Coming from this classy cat. Mm -mm. Oh, no. So I, I don't know. I love um, sort of the her design, her animation, obviously done by um, Mark Davis, one of the, the greats. Just the way she moves is beautiful. And her hair, you know, she has these Art Deco curls in her hair, just the way that they curl and they oh, yeah. loop. Um, just very, very iconic and striking. And I think she's one of the most beautiful Disney princesses. Um, I think the way that she's been translated nowadays as a princess doesn't do any justice to how beautiful her original original design was. And I also yeah, love that her cool. hair is sort of this like ashy blonde. It's it's ashy golden, I guess. It's not this bright yellow which you see nowadays when you see her. It's like this gross yellow blonde and it's so pretty in the movie. It makes me sad that they can't just like we don't all have to be yellow hair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Prince Philip is just totally mesmerized by her voice. He's amazing. Oh man, I love. Okay, Prince Philip. Can I just say this is my this is my Disney crush of all Disney crushes. <laughs> what happened to Flynn Rider? No. Um, no. No. This, no. It's not even Flynn Rider. No, no. he doesn't have a hold a candle to Prince Philip. Plus, he's like a bad oh guy, God. and no, no, this guy's class all around. Yes, yes, exactly. And he's, okay, the best part about him, I mean, we're jumping to the end, but it's like, yeah, he's the one that, like, did the most. He fought the most, and he was just, like, ready there. But I love him in these scenes right at the very beginning, where he just comes out as an actual person. Like, you see him as, like... Uh, an extra bucket of oats and maybe a few carrots. Carrots. Well, he just goes flying off by the horse and then he falls into the lake and he's like, no, carrots, and like does the whole thing. I love it. I mean, he's just, he has personality, which is something that never, none of the princes had. And that's one of the reasons why when I, in my caption fire, I said princes, because it's like they need to be more like this prince. This one is the man. Well, one of the few Disney princess prince is that was always a prince before he became a prince. It's true. There's no like coming of age, you know, uh, you know, uh, get rid of your major character flaw thing with that, like they did with Aladdin it's or Flynn Rider. You know, mm-hmm. he's very constant. Yeah, and that makes him that makes him strong. You know, exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
Let me some Prince Philip. Yeah, he, he, he's, there's talks of wood sprites. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was a mysterious being. Wood sprite. What? <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah, all it? that stuff. Oh, Navi, smack her with a sword. I, I love, I love where she's like, oh, you're a stranger. You know, he's like, we're not strangers. We've met before. <laughs> that's the, that's the only creepy part of the, that's the only creepy part of the movie. It's but a good then, line. Uh, you know, through, through song, through song and dance, he wins her heart. You know, it takes about five seconds, you know, and, um, standard for Disney. Oh, and, he would, um, I'm just going to say he would have won my heart at the same time. No, I would have been like, okay. He uses her <laughs> own line against her. Once upon a it's dream. True. It's like, yeah. ooh, snap, you're good. You said you, you said so yourself. Oh, snap! Yeah, and then the, <laughs> the, the owl is wearing that coat, and he's kind of like, hey, what does he have that I don't? <laughs> yeah, poor owl. His, his voice like, hey, I'm sorry, it's not me. <laughs> 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 yeah, totally. Yeah, and so um, she's got to go away back to her three aunts, and... Um, you know, like, can I, can, hey, listen, uh, can I have your number? Can I have it? <laughs> can I? No. You know, and uh, I forget what happens. Well, no, like, my favorite like is, like, he's, she's like, no, like, can, will I ever see you again? No, never, <laughs> never. never. Well, maybe. maybe later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. She doesn't take any convincing. She's hooked. In the cottage, by the glen. <laughs> I'm out in the menagerie. Hurry. Yeah. <laughs> Timon's out in the off in the bushes. I can see what's happening. And they don't have a clue. Ooh. <laughs> the owl get it. Anyway. That's good. That's a good one. Yeah, so um so awesome awesome tender moment and totally interrupted by the bumbling kings uh, oh. bragging about um about their kids, uh, and it's all um, all sprinkled in with this kind of alcoholism thing going on <laughs> with the Chester that uh, I can't relate to, and I it's kind of pathetic, you know, how much this Jester really wants alcohol. Yeah, but um, yeah, he should be a marker for Budweiser or something. But um, it I don't know. I guess they did it to provide some humor. You know, I, I warn you, Hubert, this means war. For honor, for country, for... Uh, he's got, like, a fish. <laughs> that escalated See, quickly. Walt Disney said he wanted to make a film that didn't have subplots, like Cinderella with the mice. And for the most right. part, this movie does pretty well. There aren't subplots because, you know, Maleficent's plot line is important, and Aurora's and Prince Philip, but I feel... I see how this relates because Philip has to go back and let them know to give them the clue that, oh, it's the same girl. And, oh, no, you know, it creates an issue with the king. Like, oh, he's fallen in love with his other girl. Now i got to tell them this is going to be so embarrassing. But uh, I don't know. Uh, there's some funny lines in there. He's like, you're living in the past. This is the 14th century now. It's like the best line. Nowadays, nowadays, I'm still the king. And I command you to marry a princess. <laughs> yeah, man. I love it. This is the 14th century. <laughs> so, anyways, we have this kind of weird scene where the kings are goofy and drunk, and uh, and then we go back. Well, they're they're you know they're not too drunk. You know they're, they're doing scrums, scrums, blah 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 blah. By the way, I thought scrums. I was anyway. Um, I thought I was so cool having that song on my Disney playlist. Super rare. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were cool uh, having that. <laughs> you know, uh, let me fill up your glass. That glass was all foam. You know, it's kind of, kind of cheesy. I don't know. I thought that was the thing is though, those characters had everything else was so straight. 
and there's a lot of of tension and just having those characters of being a little more off the cuff i liked it especially as a kid i just i liked the those scenes i liked the family i just i thought it was cool yeah, yeah. I think the little squat fat king reminded me a lot about the Grand Duke, you know, from <laughs> Cinderella. He was kind of that same lot losing, easy to lose his temper kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we go back to the cottage in the Glen, and they drop the bomb on her. That uh, she's actually you're a wizard, Harry. You can never <laughs> see him again. Like, I mean, they're so forthright. They're like, you can never see that boy again. <laughs> You're a princess, and then she, you know, this is the worst timing, um, when she's found her one true love, supposedly. And, you know, you're also a princess, she doesn't care. Like, typical teenager, the best news in the world, I don't care, I have the worst life ever. So she goes and she cries on her bed, which- Why do you hate me? <laughs> typical Disney heroine fashion to fall on the ground at one point and cry. So we all learned it. It's true. <laughs> so um anyway, so she has no choice and she gets dressed up in the blue dress. Thank you very much. And they lurk right. to the castle. Lurk, lurk. And uh lurk, then introduce lurk. the finger prick scene, which I think is one of the coolest scenes in the whole movie. Um, you know, she's it's sitting a, it's there. Eerie. It's very eerie. It's doo doo. Yeah. And that's where Tchaikovsky's score really comes into play because it ah it's just so masterfully done. It, I could hardly imagine that someone else would come with those uh, come up with those melodies. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously we're saying that now, like it's the perfect score. It's because we know nothing better. But uh, it's it's really it well good. done. And it's super creepy, very eerie. Um, but I just love, you know, she's sitting there and then the music starts playing and then she kind of falls in this trance and she sits up, like almost robotic in a way, without life. You can tell trance there's man. nothing in her eyes. And I love the scene where she stands up and then the cape just drops off her shoulders, you know, yeah. with yeah. the music in tow. Yeah, she is locked down. I mean, Jafar's watching this and he's like, golly, Maleficent, good job. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, it's so creepy. And the whole thing is so, it's got this green glow, you know, and that's the Maleficent cue, you know. So cool. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that bizarre um, fireplace that turns into a random corridor. I'm just trying to think, like, wow, how was that architect, uh, how was that made? Or they just decided, let's board this up and turn it into a fireplace. But that's beyond the point. You're not supposed yeah. to think about that. But I always do. I'm like, are you kidding me? There's a yeah. hidden secret wall, hiding secret space. passage behind that. Secret tunnels. So, yeah, so now they got to fall back on their true love's kiss thing. Yeah, well, no. Let's first go to the scene where there's the confrontation with uh, Maleficent and the fairies. Um, first, oh, that's right. Aurora Here's your precious princess. Yeah, and then she just pulls it away. Um, this is one of those scenes where the art style doesn't match. You can tell it was done by somebody else. Aurora looks different laying down there on the ground, almost like she was part of a painting and not necessarily animated. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's certain moments where Aurora looks very, very soft, um, notably when she's waking up from the kiss. Like it, it, it was animated by a different animator on that particular scene. Um, and yeah. that, I can't remember which animator it was, but that animator wanted her to be more of the classic beauty or the Disney beauty, I guess. And so he didn't stick on model. He just did what he wanted to do. And that, and she, I mean, like she literally has individual eyelashes in that scene. I'm totally jumping ahead, but, um, yeah, there's a bit, there's a few incongruencies oh, well, at times. We got our DVD covered. Yeah, that too. So, okay. 
the fairies. I mean, they're not that smart because they created this loophole intentionally, true love's first kiss. But they didn't ever plan for her to have a true love. And they actually get upset when she does meet another person, her first person she's ever encountered. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny that they they weren't smart enough to say, like, maybe we should just find a, a peasant boy in the forest just in case, just in case we need him. But they, they were just... self a backup here. <laughs> yeah, it's like they were 100% sure that their plan was going to work, so we don't need the backup. Oh, so and, they just decide to cover the whole thing up. Yeah, it's like, oh, face our problem acknowledge that we made a mistake to the king? No! Let's cover it up and put everyone to sleep. Sleep! It's like a huge cumulative forget-me-now pill. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody just falls asleep. Like, well, if no one's got to be awake for this then. Well, see, it's interesting. In the original story, the reason the fairies put the, the kingdom to sleep was so that she didn't wake up alone. So she woke up and everybody would be 100 years older, technically, but with her, right? Uh, but in this, yeah. it's just yeah. like, that's not the reason. It's like, oh, crap. Okay. And and is it ever said that it's she's going to be asleep 100 years? I know Maleficent mentions it at the end, but I don't remember it ever at the beginning saying you're going to sleep for 100 years. No, it wasn't mentioned. It, it was that only moment when... It was because Maleficent said, I'm going to hold like, you yeah, for 100 years. She's going to hold him for 100 years. So they, they had a little play on that. Um, it wasn't going to be a random oh, prince yeah, yeah. who found her 100 years later. But her prince aged up 100 years. And uh, yeah, so it's right. interesting, the little changes that they do. So and the horse made it to it as well. I know. <laughs> Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so, okay, so we see the future sure. sequence where he's just, like, hobbling out on the horse. And, um, you know, Maleficent, he's, the prince is in chains, and she's just kind of tempting him. And She's like, true love conquers all. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you on a natural <laughs> That's how he is, you know, all chained up and yep. stuff. So, um, yeah. so here come the fairies. Yeah, the fairies come in. They try to save the day. Uh, they, it's just really funny. They have this magic, but they can't just magically make the chains disappear. They have to like make it like it's a welding thing. Like we got to weld these off and like if I were a fairy, I would just go turn, yeah, turn it I, into a flower. They can turn everything else into. <laughs> well, it's, it's like their, their magic isn't violent, but they can turn things into pleasant things to overthrow the violent purposes. Yeah. Like the orcs are, are shooting arrows and they turn them into flowers, you know? And then the, they're like, molten lava or yesterday's lunch were pouring on him. <laughs> and, um, and they turn into a rainbow. It's so cute, you know? So it's like, I don't know. Oh, well, they do turn, um, Diablo into a, a gargoyle. Yeah, they were kind of mean. So that was this. pretty, that was an offensive spell. Aurora Exime. Yeah. So the fairies then come in and they give him the shield of virtue and the sword of truth, which are weapons of righteousness, which I I thought was kind of cute. Not cute, but I like that terminology. I don't think in a movie nowadays they would use the term righteousness. Um, they would say like weapons of being good, you know. Right. They wouldn't say righteous because that's sort right. of connotations that I guess people would be offended <laughs> by. But come on, she's evil, so you need something righteous to destroy evil. It makes sense. I know. And today's politically correct crowd, it's like nowadays you need the shield of acceptance. And uh, we're replacing, and you don't get a sword because that's too aggressive. Um, take the teddy, take this teddy bear of avant-garde anti-institutional thinking, you know? I agree. Exactly. That's what it is now. 
then, you know, they have the, the fancy part where he goes through the castle. He's able to escape with the help of the fairies. They turn, you know, arrows into flowers and, you know, hot lava basically into a, a nice rainbow. Um, and then he reaches the briar patch and uh, has to cut through that baby. But he does it pretty impressively. It's like, no big deal. And he's done. Hey, hey, hey. It's because Prince Philip is the Just man. Like yeah, totally. It's always the briar patch, isn't it? So he gets through that, and then Maleficent's like, no, no, it cannot be. And she does this weird thing where she, like, turns into a spinning firecracker and starts flying around all over the place. Do you remember that? <laughs> of course. She's like a, a yeah. whoopty woozle, just keeps spinning around. <laughs> She's a whoopty woozle. <laughs> Is that an actual firecracker? I don't know. I, but I feel like I've seen something like that in a, like, I don't know, some type of cartoon, probably Simpsons related. I don't know. Whoopty woozle. I like that. I'm going to use that now. <laughs> Too bad 4th of July is so far away. Not as New Year's. There it is. Yeah, and so, oh, and this this is my favorite Maleficent moment where she, like, stares him down. She's like, now you must deal with me, O oh Prince, and all the powers of hell. And it's, like, horrifying. You know, in the uh, the Golden Books uh, picture book for this film, she just, she doesn't say the powers of hell. She says the powers of evil. And uh, that kind of loses it. Yes. Yeah, it does lose its edge. You know, they don't say hell enough in these children's films. I mean, it was like this one in Hunchback, and that was it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I love the reused sound effects, a.k.a. the alligator snap from Peter Pan. <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, apparently when the death when she screams is like the same sound effect from when the evil queen dies in Snow White, you know, when she's like coerced off the mm-hmm. cliff. Ooh, fancy. And I think it's a really fun sequence, actually, because when she turns into a dragon, she's huge. Like, I know that Enchanted tried to kind of play, like, tried to kind of, like, channel that Maleficent dragon there at the end, but it, it, it didn't have nearly as enough power as the, that scene where he's just, Philip, like, looks up in terror because there's, like, a 300-story, or I don't know, 300-feet dragon in front of him. And it's so cre- it's so scary looking. But he's able to beat her pretty quickly with the help of the fairies again. <laughs> Sword swift and true. May what? What is the quote? It's like made evil die, evil die and, and faith something. endure. Yeah, that. there's a rhyme in there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a rhyme we're missing somewhere, but it's okay. So he kills her, and uh, my question is: Is this a predecessor to the Sword in the Stone? I mean, this is a Disney theory for you. Ooh, I always yeah, thought about that too because it like lands like in the rock mm-hmm. and it's got like the the dead I don't know like shadowy thing around it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a pretty good pretty good theory. I mean, has some justification. Yeah, I mean, supposedly because the Disney universe is connected. But I, you know, I'm not sure, but I, I do love the image of Maleficent's, you know, death leaving nothing but the sword in the ground and then her, like, ch- all that's left of her is, is like, tattered cloth. Mm-hmm. You know, splat. So, now that the main villain is gone, he can go awake his princess and really bothers me in this scene when he wakes her up and her animation and design is completely different. 
But I guess you could argue that it's kind of a more stylized scene, but it bothers me that she's so off model. Yeah, I don't like it either because it looks like it looks like I don't know. To me, it looks like they just had a background plant painting of her except for her face, and then some animator just animated the face. Mm-hmm. I have to go back and look at it, but it, I do remember it looking weird. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it was, it was like they just animated the eyes because the eyes were the only thing that like blinked, and then like maybe had a little bit of a smile. And the choir's there too, you know. She's awake now. <laughs> Will you guys get out of here? So another thing I like is, you know, when they present, you know, everyone wakes up in the palace and they're, <laughs> the king, King Hubert is kind of nervous. He has to tell King Stefan what happened. And he's like, oh, great. You know, there was this peasant girl. And then the trumpets sound and, and they realize Aurora and Philip are walking down. He's like, what? Philip? And I love that Philip, you know, doesn't have to explain himself to the king. Like, how cheesy would it have been if if Prince Philip said, Father, she was the peasant girl all along. It, he doesn't have to say it. Just with the, just the look and just the situation, it works. He's just like, all right, just go with it. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, why are you complaining? Don't complain at this point. I feel that the ending is it's pretty is, good. Everything works out. Yeah, I feel it's very romantic, and you know they're dancing and having their happily ever after, and they turn into clouds. They don't turn into clouds. Everything else around them turns into clouds. I think it's pretty cool. Because it's once upon a yeah, dream. it's like this like zoning out thing. <laughs> so this is love, you know that song. Uh-huh. Oh, I loved this movie. I've, I don't think I've ever, I don't think there is another movie that I could, like, just love more. I don't know. Even though I don't, I don't necessarily call this my favorite Disney movie, but I, it should be. Maybe. I don't know. It's just so good. I do. I want to go home and rethink my life. (laughs) Okay. So what are your last thoughts and what would you rate it? For me, I'm going to rate it, I'm going to rate it five stars because with, I know there's a lot of people that look at this and they're just like, oh, I don't like how Aurora, she's kind of flat. There's no real, like, change in her. Everything else just, like, changes around her. And, but I just, I feel like, I feel like there, it goes really well with the style of the film and the music. And just, I think the whole thing just kind of fits. And I remember, like, it's just, it's just really funny, but I, re- I keep always thinking of in high school, I had a choir teacher where he would always be like, it's not the absence of sound, but it is the presence of silence. And I think in a lot of ways that the reason, like, the fact that they didn't add so much to her, it's almost like it's present that you know, don't know that much about her, but you feel like you know her. You feel like you can impose your own thoughts on her. You can impose your own self in her, which is probably why I grew up thinking I was her for most of my life. Yeah. So, yeah, I just I really love this movie. So I'm going to rate this movie five out of five stars. I was going back and forth between four and a half and five. And I kind of was thinking, okay, what are the five star movies in my book? Mary Poppins, um, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. And to me, Sleeping Beauty is one of those movies that's just in the upper echelon. It's the in the uh, five star pantheon, as you will. Uh, Just everything about it, from the art direction to the characters to the story and the songs. um, I love it. And for that reason. I'm giving it five stars. Well, all right, man. I'm cutting a hard. I'm cutting a hard place. Um, 
Yeah, this is this is definitely one of those five star Disney movies. I believe I can, I, it's definitely a Disney classic. You know, although I look at it in pop culture, and I think it really contributed to the modern like anti Disney princess trope that we that we see these days. Like the very like the like rejection. It's like it's cool to reject the fairy tale narrative, and this is a fairy tale. And so, um, you know, we saw that in Enchanted and Frozen, et cetera, where they kind of make fun of the stuff that's in Sleeping Beauty, basically. But you know, all the cheesy elements, forest animals random bursting into song, you know, true love's kiss, etc. But you know what? To heck with all that, because I think sometimes it's good to just watch a good old-fashioned fairy tale. And it's all like a history lesson that attests to, like, how brilliant uh, the Walt Disney Animation Company was back then. But I just love it because this is definitely a classic, and it's got beautiful production design, and um, it managed to overcome some technical challenges, what with uh, widening the uh, the film and all that stuff, and, and achievements with, with color and with design. It's a very designy film, actually, if you look at it closely. So, yeah, five stars. So we are all in accord. Five stars. Bling, 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 bling. Huzzah! King's Chorus, we need you. Play us out. Five stars! (laughs) Oh, did you mean like a recording or like something that I said? Both are good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hey, Rose Covers, this is Eric Faulkner. I have two interesting facts that I found out about Sleeping Beauty. One, this was the only Disney movie that Chuck Jones of Lewington's fame worked on for Disney. And two, one of the models for the fairies was the actress who was Aunt B on The Andy Griffith Show. Thanks so much for your voicemail. Yeah, those two, the Aunt B from the Andy Griffith Show, she was always so cute. I loved her because she was just, what was funny is they really did model um, Meriwether after, like, her body type. <laughs> and so it just, it really translated well, I felt like. She did a good job. Okay, our next one is from CJ. Hey, Rotoscopers team. It's CJ, a fan from Alabama, I guess. <laughs> I've been keeping up lately on your daily news on Disney, all animation, and, and as an inspiring live-action director and writer, and for animation also, I just want to know that um, how to get into the, like, how to start your first movie as sort of a starting point. I mean, I know none of y'all know the film industry, but I just want to know, like, how to start it, because I'm currently writing something on the internet, aka fan fiction, and I just don't, like, at times I don't feel comfortable, you know, if I'm not worthy or not, you know, enough about that. And also, this Big Hero series coming in November. I just want to know. I just, I'm just having like a something. I call it a hunch where, when I saw the Hans Wanted trailer, Wanted poster, and I'm kept thinking, okay, Easter egg. Then again, since when did the Disney theory become full of fun things? I mean, literally, I mean, we can make. I mean, like, I think to me, the Big Hero Six group is probably descendants of Disney princesses, princesses and heroes. And somehow Hans from either the powers of the genie, using the genie or, or Mushu or something like that. I'm probably thinking them it's a shared universe. I mean, what's your thoughts on the whole Disney anime universe, if there is one? And it very much it started from my awkwardness a bit, so I got to get going. Peace out. 
Okay, yeah, you are right, CJ. We are not movie makers, but I do know um, that you just have to start and you just have to do. There's always people who sit on the couch and they say, oh, you know, I wish I were this, I wish I were that, but they don't actually do anything about it. So no matter if it's good or it's bad, just get out there and do things. You say you're writing uh, fan fiction, which is great. I mean, you're getting your ideas on paper and you're learning to structure a story. That's awesome. And turning that into a movie, I mean, the next step is just start turning it into a movie. You know, if you want to do a stop motion, just start tinkering with that. If you're an animator, then start drawing and exploring. You just try to get your ideas out there. And at least it gives you a one-up on other people who, you know, say, oh, I want to be a director one day, but you've never seen them touch a camera in their life. Uh, that's just, that would be my advice. Just go and do, um, and, and, you know, it's your first time, so it's not going to be the best thing ever, or maybe it is. Who knows? But just do it and, and don't think what people are going to say about it. Just do it and, and that is winning in itself. Okay, our next one is from Adriana. Hey, Rotoscopers, it's me, Adriana. Um, so Sleeping Beauty, Walt Disney's last princess movie before he passed away. I really like this movie. It has nostalgia value, but even without that, it's still really good. The animation is superb. The angular designs are really, like, different than all the other Disney canon movies. And the backgrounds by, I think it was Ivan Durrell, they're just fun to look at. Like, the visual aspect of this movie is amazing. It's called Sleeping Beauty. But it's not about Sleeping Beauty, because she's kind of boring. More about, like, the side, ca- the side characters and Maleficent than it is about Sleeping Beauty. And I'm totally fine with that. Even though Once Upon a Dream is one of the best, like, Disney princess songs, she's still kind of boring, you gotta admit. So, even with all its flaws and everything, I'd still give um, Sleeping Beauty a 4 out of 5 stars. <laughs> Thanks, Adriana. Like you've heard in this review, I love Sleeping Beauty. I actually don't find her to be all that boring. Um, you know, she, yes, she doesn't have that much personality, and yes, she is asleep for half the film. You know, that might be be part of it. But <laughs> I, I do like her. I think that she's she's really classy and, and very sophisticated. You know, kind of an old time charm about her. Um, she doesn't have to be in your face. She doesn't have to be super headstrong and and almost rude. She kind of has that that grace that seems to be uh, somewhat forgotten. In, in nowadays movies. I agree. Thank you for sending in your review. If you guys have a review of the movies that we're going to be doing for our Mice and Rats series, be sure to send them in at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. Oh, I'm so excited. Hi, this is Satria from Indonesia, and I'd like to give my own review on Sleeping Beauty. Uh, the film Sleeping Beauty is one of my top Disney animated films. And part of the reason it's because of the overall look of the film. Uh, the art style is really great. Ivan Earl did a really great job of mixing both modern art with the styles of the Middle Ages and making it look so vivid and yet so fresh from every from anything that Disney had ever made up to that point. And that also owes to the music. Uh, the music using the Tchaikovsky pieces of the ballet is making it even more memorable than ever. The characters are quite unique, and most importantly, they're also memorable, uh, particularly the three good fairies. And I just think that Maleficent is probably the scariest vi- villain that Disney had ever made, and I couldn't stare at her eyes 
Um, to close up, I'd like to recommend uh, Fantasia and Fantasia 2000 for your next episode on the podcast because they're both artistic and musical at the same time. And maybe you could pull off some quotes in, along the way. And also, I'd like to recommend uh, some Ghibli films. Um, one of them is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind because the film is considered as... Hayao Miyazaki's epic masterpiece and considered as Studio Ghibli film number zero. Uh, and that's all for me. And I'm looking forward to hearing you guys soon. So, uh, thank you for everything that you do with your podcast and hope you have great future with it. Thanks. Hi there, Rotoscopers. This is Megan. Um, I've actually been a very long-time listener. I've been listening for about a year now, but this is the first time I've actually, you know, worked up the courage to send in a voicemail, so I hope I don't screw anything up. I'd just like to say I love the podcast. I listen to it so much. Uh, I just started attending Sheridan College, so I'm trying to get into animation right now, and I just love listening to your podcast on the way to school and on the way back since my commute is about an hour long and it's just really great and it kind of gets me pumped up to do art in school so thanks for that it says that the next movie that you should be reviewing is Sleeping Beauty and I just like to say um, the movie I think the plot is average to me it's nothing really that special but what really pushes the movie for me is the art direction is just beautiful and I love the animation for it and the song, Once Upon a Dream, is just lovely to listen to. I really like the singer's voice. So I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hi, Rotoscopers. Uh, Rotoscopers, sorry. <laughs> um, this is Animated Madness. You've probably seen my comments here and there on the website. Big fan. Um, I was just calling to leave a voicemail. I really like y'all's uh, podcast. I definitely need to start listening more. I greatly enjoyed the talk about Quest for Camelot. I remember watching that all the time when I was a kid. Um, it was sort of a guilty pleasure for me growing up, but I, I got to agree with y'all. It did not hold up over time because, I mean, you know, it, I, I mean, pretty much every reason y'all explained it. <laughs> anyway, um, y'all, y'all, I know y'all are talking about Sleeping Beauty, this particular podcast, and that was never one of my favorite Disney movies. I always liked Maleficent as the dragon, but, I mean, and, and the artwork is beautiful to look at. I, it's just, I, I felt like story-wise, it, you know, it, the, the structure was really, really spread thin. It, it, uh, it just doesn't have the presence that some of the other, uh, Disney classics have or the, 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 the pacing. You know, the pacing is really, really slow to me. And it just, you know, it puts me, it, it helps me go to sleep. <laughs> I've, I've, I've used it to fall asleep before at night, but, um, you know, just just try to sit it, sit and watch it and admire it for what it is. I mean, the artwork's beautiful and all. It's just the pacing of the story. Just it really did it for me. Anyway, um, thank you guys for listening, and uh, see y'all later. All right, let's move into the mailbag. We have a few pieces of mail today. The first one is a review about Sleeping Beauty from Joshua K. He says, It's a dino and dragons finale, rotoscopers, and this is a good one. It's time for Sleeping Beauty. This was the last in the Disney princess stories made with Walt Disney himself, and he did a good job on this one. So let's go into my thoughts. 
Now, with this movie, it has appeared in a lot of things from Kingdom Hearts to House of Mouse to Maleficent's goons in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This movie does have a Disney legacy. Now let's talk about one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Disney villain, Maleficent. Who doesn't think she rocks? Maleficent is getting a Disney Infinity figure and has a live-action movie centered around here. Some scenes I like are when the fairies are getting ready for the 16th birthday and when the king is using the fish to fight. What if you see that in a real castle? It would have to end with someone smelling like fish. I expect to see some Fantasia brooms making chaos. Anyway, that was my thoughts on the 1959 movie. Now about the 2014 remake. Here are my thoughts on that. It did feel like an epic adventure, and I like the twist-happy ending. Although, I wonder what the 1959 characters think of the movie. What do you think, Rotoscopers? Did you like Maleficent? Or would you rather go see Maleficent as she was in 1959? Anyway, I've had a great time talking about these Dino and Dragons movies, and stay sweet, Rotoscopers. Joshua K. Ah, uh, Joshua K. Thank you so much. He's all, He's been going in and sending in lots of emails, basically, from all of the movies that we've been uh, announcing that we were going to be receiving, so He's always got something coming out for him, and we love hearing from him. Thank you. Um, as far as the whole Maleficent thing, we already went over that a little bit, so we're not going to go too much into that. I will say I I do prefer, I will reiterate and say I do prefer the 1959 version. Um, but, man, I mean, it's, it's this movie is great. All right, our next one is from Sarah. Hey, Rotoscopers, I can't wait for your Sleeping Beauty episode. My favorite song from this film is, of course, Once Upon a Dream. Maleficent is easiest one of the best Disney villains, and I enjoyed the fact that Prince Philip was the first active prince. It's too bad that we don't have a lot of animated films these days with a unique look like Sleeping Beauty. Now it's time for Chelsea-related questions, since it's her birthday. But anyone can answer. Number one, what happens to Chelsea's reactions and reviews of the first Book of Life trailer? Oh, yeah, that one. Um, uh, we that had, one. Yes, that one. Well, we had copyrighted material in that, and so we had to take it down, unfortunately. Um, I, it's really annoying because we're trying to figure out how the whole YouTube game works, and... So, yeah, but anything, like, we we love this movie, we're so excited about it, and there's going to be everything that comes out about it makes me just really excited. So, um, here is my review, I can't wait for it, and <laughs> if you listen to this a year or two later, um, after the Book of Life has come out already, you and you haven't seen it, I hope that it turned out well, <laughs> but I'm really excited. And if anyone has any suggestions on, yeah, because there's so many movies, so many YouTube channels out there that, you know, they put the trailers in their reviews and no problem, but we seem to get flagged every single time. So if you have any suggestions on, on how to uh, play the YouTube game, let us know. Cause, yes, uh, please. It makes it, it makes it so sad that we can't put those in our videos, even though it's fair use. Yeah. Well, here we go. <laughs> All right. Question number two from Sarah. Are you going to do more animated movie soundtrack reviews? Yes, I am. I just have to do them. <laughs> I want to know what your guys' requests are. Like, which which ones would you want me to review? Because as we've been doing the podcast, I have been able to go through and listen to a lot of the soundtracks for all of these movies. But I'm not sure which ones you guys want to hear. So let me know. And a little tidbit about that. I actually received the new Disney Legacy Collection in the mail. And Mary Poppins, even though that came out in August. So I will be doing a review of that one. All right. Number three. Since you want to voice an animated character, what type of story do you want your character to be in? Setting, genre, plot, theme, etc. 
Hmm. This is a good, really good question. Made me think a lot. Um, musical, of course, but I will put a caveat in there and say that it could range anything from something like a monster in Paris where it had a singer who just part of her, um, just part of her role was singing to full out musical frozen style. Um, either one of those, you know, extremes, I would be totally fine with. It just has to have at least a little bit of singing in it because that just makes, that makes it more fun for me. Um, and then also, as long as one of those songs happens to be kind of like a showstopper at the end, like, it's gotta, I, I love those. Those make me really happy. <laughs> um, and then probably as far as a character, I would, I, you know, this is, okay. I would go anywhere from like what would be deemed quote unquote adorable to the total complete other side of evil or maybe even both. I would love something super dramatic because I don't normally explore that in my everyday life, but I just, I also like good things. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, it would be really cool to have an, a character with an interesting backstory or maybe allude to an interesting backstory that would lead to an incredible sequel with a twist, maybe. I don't know. So you want to be an adorably evil <laughs> character like Darla Dimple from Cats Don't Dance. I wouldn't mind that. I'll be honest. <laughs> if you write, if somebody out there wants to write me another story of Darla Dimple, I could do that. <laughs> Um, that would be great. But like, like I said, anything from that to more of a, um, serious character would be cool. Um, something with like self-discovery and as cliche as that is. Um, but I don't know. A lot of the songs I end up writing end up being the type that's like, take the hit and keep on going. Um, kind of like a rise above type, uh, theme. So if you wanted to put something like that in there, I could totally do that. Um, but then I also like, I I like stories where it's like, no, this is, this is the character. And as long as it's just like a really, like if I were a Maleficent character, though, I'm not sure I'd be able to, um, pull off the mistress of all evil, but if it were just something that or something different. I don't know. I could totally do it. I just, I enjoy all parts of this game. So let me know. Okay. And she ends by saying, I hope you have a wonderful birthday, Chelsea. And from Morgan and Mason, have a great day, Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate those questions. That was really thoughtful of you. Our next one is from Tris. She says, Dear Rotoscopers, my name is Tris, username on the website. I've been listening to your podcast for a little more than a year now, and I'm loving your Dinos and Dragons series. And the way to end this series with the ultimate dragon movie, Sleeping Beauty. Since I was four, I always loved this movie. Now that I'm older, I can fully appreciate the beauty of this film. The animation is spectacular, and the backgrounds are one of the most beautiful I have seen in an animated movie. The music is amazing, and all the songs are great. It's not a Disney movie without the classic drink song. Favorite characters would have to be Maleficent and Merryweather. I think I would rate this movie four out of five stars. It's a masterpiece. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. By the way, are you team pink or team blue? Thanks for reading my email and keep up the great work podcasting. Tris. P.S. Happy birthday, Chelsea. Yay! Thank you! Oh, I am total team pink. Team blue! Ah! Oh, no, no, Chelsea. Okay, okay. Wizard's duel right now, okay? Okay. (laughs) Cue the music. What, 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 what's up, boy? What's going on? They're having a wizard's duel. What's that mean? Oh, it's a battle of wits. The players change themselves to different things in an attempt to uh, to destroy one another. Destroy? Well, just watch, boy. Just watch. You'll get the idea. 
Okay, I'm going to take the first round. Team Blue. Okay, she's a blonde. Okay, Blue looks great with blonde hair. It's subtle, but not overpowering. I think the pink, you know, especially nowadays, it's very girly. It's too girly almost. And so I think it, it you kind of downplay or disregard Aurora when she's wearing the pink gown. It's like, oh, a princess in her pretty pink gown. Uh, I like the blue better because it's just a little bit more subtle, elegant, and regal. My favorite scenes are the scenes when she's wearing her blue dress and kind of entranced, walking through the castle, getting ready to prick her finger. And I just think it's just very striking. And I'm very, very disappointed that blue isn't used more often in the Disney commercial products and the merchandise of her. And I know it's because Cinderella technically has a blue dress, even though her real dress is silver, but they use blue. So you can't have two blue dresses. And so for that reason, it's default to pink. All right. And I'm taking team pink. Pink, because it is feminine. And it is, it, this is not just a bright pink, which could come off as a little bit more, um, overbearing, but this one is more of a subtle pink, but still strong. And so that's one thing that I really like about her. It's also royal. Like if you, anything that was more of a magenta color definitely signified wealth and also power. So that is something, it's a power color. Anything that comes of a derivative of red is a power color. And as we know, pink is that. And definitely I just know that pink was the better choice here. That is why they kept it. So there. Make it blue. Make it pink. All right, up next, our last email from Rob. He says, hey, Rotoscopers, I was wondering if you guys noticed that all 13 of the Disney princesses each represent a certain element or embody a particular trait. I listed out what I think each princess represents, and I wonder if you agree. Snow White, wishes. Cinderella, dreams. Aurora, wonder. Ariel, adventure. Belle, knowledge. Jasmine, independence. Pocahontas, harmony. Mulan, honor. Tiana, determination. Rapunzel, summer slash sun. Merida, fall slash freedom. Anna, spring slash love and Elsa Winter slash Acceptance. As Disney kept producing more movies and characters, I noticed that the last four press princesses princesses have all represented both a season and an attribute, an element. I'll also, did you guys notice that Rapunzel's magic is the polar opposite as polar opposite to Elsa's as both represent the sun and the moon. Rapunzel represents the sun for her magic has its own source and power and she is in complete control at all times just as the sun is of its energy and is always shining. Elsa's magic is reflective of her emotions just as the moon is dependent on the just as the moon is dependent on the sun light to shine. It's just some food for discussion. Have a good one. Rob I like those. Those were nice. I hadn't thought about that. The only one that I would change is probably the fact that you said that Rapunzel was summer and sun. I think I would more, I'm not sure what adjective or um, emotion I would, or quality, I don't know, that you would trade out for sun, but it doesn't quite go with all the other ones that you put in there, but... I like it. Very thoughtful. I would... So for Rapunzel, I think she would be just sort of, you know, general optimism. She has this, like, sense of adventure about yeah. her. You know, she she wants to go out and she wants to explore. It's it's a curiosity of sorts, I guess. I, there's so many attributes that could represent her, but I really loved how those last four princesses represented the seasons. Um, and the analogy to Elsa being tied with the moon was just really fascinating. Not, that's something I hadn't heard before. Yeah, thank you. 
All right, guys, that's all we have for this segment of the mailbag. Be sure to send us an email with your thoughts about the next movies that we're going to be doing in our Mice and Rats series or just any movie that maybe we've recently done and you want to get your thoughts on. Be sure to send us an email at contact at rotoscopers.com. We are working through our mailbag uh, backlog, and we've almost caught up. So I guess that means time to send more emails. Scumps! Scumps! Stumps a toast to this night. The outlook is rosy. The future is bright. Our, Our children will marry. Our kingdoms unite. Scumps, scumps, scumps. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. As usual, be sure to use the hashtag AnimAddicts when you're talking about this on Twitter or Instagram. And if you're referring to this episode specifically, be sure to use the hashtag AnimAddicts76. That way, everyone who is talking about this episode, we can all click it and join the conversation together. So, we are done with our Dinos and Dragons series. Very sad. There are still many movies that we could do and we will do in the future, but we are putting this chapter to an end. We did six amazing movies that focused on dinosaurs and dragons, and I'm loving these series that we're doing. It's just a really fun way to kind of explore movies that have common elements and tie them back, you know, each each episode that we do. So, our next one... Drum roll, please. Not that it's a surprise, we are doing our Mice and Rats. Going along with the Chinese Zodiac, we are now focusing on the Year of the Rat, and mice are included there too, because they're very prominent in animated films. So we have had a poll on the bottom of the website, and there's over 1,200 votes. Um, and so Whew. people definitely are interested in us doing these films, and they want their opinion heard. Uh, right now, it looks like we The Secret of Nim is the mo- number one most requested animated film. So you know what that means? Save the best for last. We are holding out until the end (laughs) to do that one. So our next episode is going to be The Great Mouse Detective. This is a Disney film from 1986. It's amazing. And I think it's just a great way to start off this mice and rat series because both are involved in this movie. So uh, get ready for that. Exciting. I'm so excited. So be sure to send us your emails and voicemails for that episode. Contact at rotoscopers.com for emails and rotoscopers.com slash voicemails for the voicemails. We want to hear reviews. And for all show notes, head on over to www.rotoscopers.com slash 76 trombones. <laughs> <laughs> Musical interlude there. Um, you can also find us on hypable.com and animatedviews.com. Make sure to subscribe also on iTunes because this is going to be a great way that you are always going to be in the know. Also, look for us on Stitcher Radio. Those are some great apps to be able to use to be able to make sure that you never miss out on a single episode. If you love the show, please also leave feedback on those. Um, on iTunes, it's something that we really appreciate it. And also, a lot of people are able to understand why you guys love talking about animated movies. So go ahead and leave your reviews there. Also, like Morgan said, you want to contact us at contact at rotoscopers.com, voicemail, rotoscopers.com slash voicemails, or call us and leave a message at 406-646-6575. 
And in the show notes for this episode, rotoscopers.com slash 76, I included all the links so you can buy the Diamond Edition or even the Platinum Edition Blu-ray. Um, and also I included links to the soundtrack. So definitely go there. That uses our Amazon affiliate links, rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Anytime you're doing your shopping, just click on that link and shop to your heart's content. And anything you purchase within, I think, 24 hours, it gives us a little credit. So, you know, you can save it as a bookmark on your bookmark tool bar on your browser and then it's super easy you just click it anytime you want to shop and without even knowing it you're giving us a little credit so we can keep making more of these amazing podcast episodes so again thank you thank you thank you and also if you would like to read more about fairy tales and sleeping beauty you can download a free audiobook of the Grimm's brothers fairy tales which includes this at rotoscopers.com slash audible audible is the number one place to go and get all the audiobooks for an amazing price it's a monthly subscription But if you use our link, you can get a book for free and you can keep it. So we love you guys for using those links. Thank you so much. And it really helps us keep going. Oh, also, I did want to make a note that as I was going through looking at different cool things that have been going on, in one month on October 24th, there's actually going to be a really cool event happening right here in Nashville, Tennessee. So if you are in the areas close by or even just wanting to head out. The website taughtbyapro.com is putting on a really just star-studded group of people that um, it's going to be at Lipscomb University. If you have any questions, just head on over to taughtbyapro.com and check it out because you've got some really cool stuff there too. Sounds good. Check out our individual locations on Twitter. We're all there. Uh, you can see Morgan at Morgan Straddling. I'm at Chelsea Robson. And Mason is Mason SMTX. We're all on Twitter there. And that's it. So until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. Okay, well, happy birthday episode, Chelsea. Seriously. Thanks, Mason. We would do Catch and Fire with you as a special treat, but I think we already did that with you, didn't we? I don't remember ever doing it. Did we? Are you sure we've never done it? I thought we did it. Hold on. Well, it says here, episode 51, Corpse Bride. Didn't we do it then? No, I said in Corpse Bride, I was listening to it, and then that was when Morgan did hers, because she was like, oh, I'm just going to say, nope, this is my turn, and I'm going to do it. And We we have to have, have done Catch and Fire. I really don't think so. I mean, I can go back and, like, look at all the ones after 51, but I don't think so. Okay. Why don't we just do it just in case? (laughs) I don't think we have. I think we started with Mason, and we did me, and I don't think we ever finished. Yeah, because Morgan threw a fit that she didn't get to do it. And I don't remember doing it since. Okay, we also need to do an Amazon plug and a T-shirt plug. An Amazon. An Amazon you scared me. Sorry, Jared just walked in. That scared me. He made me spicy Asian sliders. He made me spicy. Come on, Jared. Spicy Asian sliders. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Okay. Um, not only in your peach and your peach and whatever, whatever your peach is. Um, okay. I love when you type in Sleeping Beauty. It gives you the story of Sleeping Beauty. And then it's like, did you mean the 2010 Sleeping Beauty Turkish film? <laughs> of all oh, the oh Disney- yeah, that gross one. Of all the dis- of the Sleeping Beauty films, you think that's the one people are most searching for? I don't think so. <laughs> on that joyful day, on that joyful day. Okay. Sorry. I'm seeing it. You can't sing well, was, another key. Oh, I was trying to do... Oh. Was sorry. that... Sorry. You were trying to harmonize, huh? I was. Oh.
My fault. Okay. Anyways. Hey, I have one last thing that I need to say that needs to be recorded. Okay. Um, You you need to say it. No, I really do because my – and you can put this on the bloopers. I don't care. But um, as long as it's in the final episode, my little sister got really mad. Okay, so when we did the dinosaur episode, I made fun of biologists for um, being angry that there were lemurs at the same time as dinosaurs. And so I kind of kind of poked some fun at biologists in general, not thinking that my little sister is a biologist as a wildlife management major. And uh, so I just want to apologize, baby Becca, for saying that and that I take it back and biologists are cool. <laughs> I, do I need, to, I need to be more convincing? <laughs> you got... I've seen the light, Becca, <laughs> and I'm sorry about what I said about biologists. I'm sorry. Okay. Sniveling here. Becca, don't forgive him. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, she said she would as long as I publicly apologize on the podcast. Really? So that's why I have to publicly put this in? That's Hashtag pre- Mason shaming. That's, that's precisely <laughs> why you publicly have to put this on the podcast, my prissy friend. <laughs> um, yeah, that's just uh, channeling my uh, inner That's So Raven. Cool. All right. All I don't right. care if you put it at the end. I don't care if you put it in the bloopers, but it has to be in there. Okay, cool. Done. <laughs> All right. Hey, now there's thanks, not a delay. Guys. Not at the very end. Of course. <laughs> what? Cool. Thanks, guys. Happy That's birthday, all, Chelsea. Folks. Oh, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs>